Judah and Matthew are dumpster people, and they occasionally use foul and inappropriate language. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Brother Date, Star Trek edition. I said it the regular way this week. I'm Matthew. I'm Judah. It didn't earn anything special this week. <laughs> oh, you just want to give away the game right here? Uh, spoiler alert. These weren't great episodes. Uh, it's week 48. Oh, yeah. That's a lot. Couple of, couple of milestones. We're, uh, we're starting season three of TNG. Mm-hmm. We're also, although we've been in season three of Voyager for a few few episodes now i think this is the last one that was filmed in season two it's kind of hard to believe that does that make sense that they filmed another one after this one oh that they that they kept going with the series yeah that they didn't all just walk off the set and go we should never return we should that, that this week's set. episode which is not the first one we're going to discuss no. didn't answer all of the remaining questions in voyager and allow them no. to uh complete the show it answered all the questions for me. I don't have any further questions. Okay, you're out of questions now. Um, yeah, and uh, we're we're closing in on the end of uh, TOS and Enterprise Season 2s, but we still have a few Season 2s in the mix. Yeah. But the way we work this project now is that we go in order from worst to first last week. Mm-hmm. Last week, uh, TNG kind of shit the bed with the clip show, Shades of Grey. Yeah, it wasn't amazing. Yeah. We, and that means... we talked off air. Off air, everybody. We had a conversation. Um, it could have been worse. Well, yeah. It had the potential to be bad. But also, I'm mad because it turns out nobody made them do a clip show. Hmm. Like, they just were trying to save some money. It wasn't like... You know, the someone made The Simpsons do a clip show. Yeah. Also, the narrative in my head forever was that it was because they were going to get canceled and they were just saying goodbye. <laughs> and that may not have been a real thing. And I think it turns out it was not the case. Um, this week is not a clip show. It's the first episode of TNG Season 3. Ooh, they, got we that watched. New, they got that new budget like DS9 Season 3. Yeah, they did. We watched Evolution. Something about those strings doesn't sound right. I don't know what it is. <laughs> um, all right. Hey, you guys, you know what scientists are like in this universe, right? Bunch <laughs> of real fuckers. Well, this, there's a guy, they got a fucker on board. His name's Dr. Stubbs. He's a fucker. He's uh, doing some kind of stellar research. He made a giant exocomp-looking thing. They call it the egg. Um, yeah. He's going to throw it in into some... Some stellar matter so it can study things. It's not It's not really important. Um, but it only happens once every fucking quadrillion years or whatever. So if he doesn't get it done now, his whole life's work is wasted. Well, guess what? Wesley did a science experiment bad. Did a bad he job. Did. His science experiment may have broken the ship. Um, 
We'll get into it later, but he's concentrating too much on his studies and not on his personal life. Yeah, and he burned himself out, and some little critters escaped. I saw some food on that desk next to the um, the microscope that he's using. I was fascinated. I could not tell what any of that was. Did he eat a weird omelet? What was that food? To me, it looked like if you got a hot dog, but one of like a really bad place that gives you like ninety percent bread, like on a big bulky roll or something, <laughs> right. and a little hot dog in the middle. That's what it looked and he like. He just was that was just all the bread leavings because yeah, he like, only wanted to eat the hot dog. I'm not eating a pound and a half of bread. I'm eating this salty little sausage, and then I'm done. He's like, why doesn't the replicator know that I'm just going to cut it up into chunks and eat it, dip it in ketchup anyway? Because <laughs> I'm Wesley Crusher, and that's how I do. Yeah, he's been... He's been I'll, I'll get to the B-plot about how he's studying too much in a second, but he um, he's working with these little creatures. They called nanites. We find this out about halfway through the episode. They called nanites, and they're tiny little microscopic creatures that are originally designed to help with like um, fancy future surgeries and things like that. And uh, he's repurposing them to see what they're capable of by by pairing them up and working them together. But then he fell asleep and he left his container open and they got out and they went into the computer to um, make a make a sweet home in the computer. They eat the computer. Yeah, they eaten it up good and uh, multiplying or whatever. So that's what's breaking the ship and the ship's breaking real bad. It's like uh, playing marches over the loudspeakers too loud. Yeah. And, like, smoke's going everywhere. You know, all the uh, malfunctions. Yeah, let me, this is a quick hitter conversation for sure, but let me stop you right there. If you were at work and Stars and Stripes Forever just came blasting through the office, wouldn't you be kind of jazzed? Uh, I would go to the window and see if there were going to be fireworks. Wouldn't you be like, oh, this has got to be a great day. fireworks off in the parking lot. <laughs> uh, but that is not Picard's reaction. No. Um... So anyway, they're trying to figure out why these malfunctions are happening. Uh, turns out it was Wesley's dumb experiment. Uh, once they figure out that it's these little nanites, uh, Dr. Crazy Bastard, he wants to kill them all so that he can do his uh, his science. Um, there's a little bit of stuff with him and Wesley in this episode where he talks about how, like Wesley, he was a, a wonderkind. Don't worry, he explains what it means in case nobody knows. Oh, Wesley even tells you it's German. Yeah. Though he doesn't seem to be able to go any further than that. No, because... Despite the fact that... The words are unrecognizable to me. Despite the fact that the word wunder just means wonder. That's right. And kin... I don't know if the Enterprise still has kindergartens, but, like, the idea... Anyway, it's fine. I laughed out loud when the guy explained that it was German for wonder child. Um, Yeah. Anyway, they stopped really collaborating, though, early on in the episode. Um... So this guy wants to kill all the nanites so he can do his science experiment, and um, he even goes so far as to shoot up one of the computer cores with some gamma rays to kill some of them. Yeah. Do you this... remember when Major Kira wanted to destroy that entire universe? <laughs> what was hypothetically, maybe, possibly, there was a universe inside of it? That's correct. Yeah. And possibly, maybe, uh, potentially, there was some life in there. Yeah, and Oda was very cross about that, I recall. Yeah. Um... Well, anyway, when he does that, they get real mad, and they do some, um, they make attempts on the dude's life, and, uh, that's when they try to smoke out the ship and shit like that. Like, shit, shit's going bad. They, they gotta come to terms with these nanites, so, uh, for no good reason, Data says, hey, put them inside of me, <laughs> and I can talk to you guys as the nanites. I don't know why they couldn't just talk through the computer. It's, by the way, it's pure idiocy, because they're starting to communicate with data through the computer through the mm-hmm. universal translator 
And yeah, Data uh, spends a good amount of time at that back station on the bridge trying to communicate with them. And Data's like, hey, if it'll help, I'll let him go right into my body. Can you put him in my body? And brain? everyone's like, that doesn't seem safe. And Worf especially thinks it's not safe. <laughs> yeah. They, but as usual, well, now, Worf kind of Now gets, they'll have control of a Starfleet commander. It's an amazing super clip, super cut somewhere of Worf... Uh, <laughs> getting shot down with what in retrospect were all the correct ideas. Uh, anyway, Picard makes this doctor apologize to data nanites, nanites data. Yeah. Uh, like a, like a kid who threw a rock through a window or something. Yeah. And then the nanites tell them come back in three centuries. Yeah. We've seen this episode. It was called home soil, except this one didn't have a super sweet laser room. So no. it's not as good as that one. It's actually much worse than Home Soil. It is. Okay, so the fact that it came after Home Soil makes it worse. And then there's no Troy setting up, uh, telling Riker to go and fuck this chick for information. Right. There's no laser room. There's no, the laser room has clearly been used for murders before. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's missing the crucial elements of Home Soil. Uh, anyway, so yes, so they apologize and everyone's fine. B-plot, Dr. Crusher's back, bro. Yeah, she'd been she away is. for a year. She gives a hand wave explanation about how she was at Starfleet Medical for a year and she missed two inches of Wesley, and that's gross. <laughs> and um, and now she's really concerned that he doesn't act like a regular teenager, like he did before she left. Um, exactly. She's like, oh, he's not like dating chicks, and he doesn't have any fun, and all he does is study, and how come he's not getting into trouble? And Bitch, you're going to regret this, because... He turns into a lot of trouble. What with this? Yeah. There's going to be a moment where uh, he's like making time stop and all of a sudden he's big into Native American rights. Maybe Worf is going to get shot. It's hard like, to say. Maybe, maybe Worf gets shot and she's and she's going to be like, oh no. Oh, I sh- whoops. I should have kept him in line. Yeah, there's going to be a oh, part of season five. he's such a good little nerd. When uh, they do a... Uh, fucking Colburn Starburst or whatever it's called and someone eats it and it's all gonna go off the rails. No, dog, they were just doing a Jaeger loop. Sorry, yeah, that's right, Jaeger loop. They never would have done that other one. No, no. That other one. That's illegal. They don't allow that one anymore. He wouldn't do that. Um, anyway. It's the only death penalty left on the books, Matt. <laughs> that's right. Just just visiting that one planet and doing the Colburn Starburst. And doing the Colburn Starburst. <laughs> Not allowed. Uh, so she's super worried about it. She's asking everyone on the Ding Dang ship. Picard's now got to put up with these social visits again, where she comes. I mean, she only house. asks. She only asks Picard and Guinan. She only talks to two people. She comes. She doesn't up. ask Riker. Picard says Riker's in charge of Wesley's studies. Picard gives her a hint: go talk to Riker. Mm-hmm. As far as we can tell, she does not. No, she doesn't like Riker. I don't think. No, um, maybe she's afraid that Riker's going to tell her. Oh no, no! I've every time we hit shore leave, I take him to the local whorehouse. That's right. I'm I'm teaching him real good. Um, so yeah, now Picard's got to put up with this shit again, where she always comes to his quarters with some kind of either problem with one of his policies, or um, maybe something's wrong yeah. with Wesley. You you don't see it yet in his face. Like I don't think the realization has dawned on him yet that he maybe shouldn't have driven Pulaski away with his murdering. No, he can't make up his. He's like LeBron James. Like he joins a team and he kicks everyone off the team and gets a bunch of new guys. And then six weeks later, he's like, "Man, fuck these new guys! I gotta trade these guys away." That's what he's like with his doctors, I think. Um. Well, anyway, uh, Wesley's a little bit preoccupied trying to uh, catch the nanites that he lost or whatever. And he's not into talking with his mom about it. So they don't have, like, a real good sit-down conversation about 
how hard it is to be um, a wonderkind right. on, on the Enterprise or whatever. But it's okay, because in the end, when everything's all wrapped up, um, he's he's seen with a lady, a, a girl, in 10 forward. So, like, it's all fine. Right? I mean, I guess that's that's what the takeaway. Okay. The experiment gets launched. Yeah, the nanites yeah. get a planet of their own. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. They get their Stubbs, own planet. Stubbs is, by the way, you haven't said his name, but Stubbs just gives them a planet. Doctor Stubbs, the asshole, is like, "Hey, I can use this planet here in this star system," and I, I get the feeling they're going to eat that planet up in like six weeks. Well, I mean, they then what? I, it's hard to it's hard to say. <laughs> it's hard to say what will happen. Maybe they just die. Who knows? They've been in a, in a very heavy expansion phase on the Enterprise, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's sustainable. Uh, what did you think this wonderful first episode of season three was all about? Yeah. Ben's pick of the week. Hi, this is Ben Town, your remote Star Trek edition correspondent with my pick of the week. Pick of the week. Yeah, remarkably, this is Ben's pick of the week. I know we've just been uh, shitting on it for a solid 10 minutes. <laughs> Um, his, let's start with his take. All right. Unbridled ambition makes you a buddy fucking asshole. That guy does suck. Wesley almost destroys the ship with his drive to be the perfect student, and Stubbs is willing to sacrifice the Enterprise to get his probe on. Not maybe a hot take, but at least it's true. This is a six, sixer. Big sixer coming from Ben. And by the way, that lets you know what his scores for the week are, too. If six is the, uh, if this is the, the one of the week... And, and it was only a six. That's not great. Yeah, and as... I don't know if people have figured this out, but I play that little alarm when we get to the part of the show that he scored the highest. Right. Um, my take... is... a healthy mind in a healthy body, or there is more to life than work. Oh, you went with... Um, well, I guess... Okay, so explain it. So Stubbs's entire life is built on his work. And he if explains this, why. It's because of the terrible burden of expectations. That's right. If this egg that he's... If, if his project fails, he's he's done. He's not... He's. I mean, he says that the thing that will really happen is it won't be talked about at all. Yeah. It will, it'll disappear. To him, that's worse than anything, right? Yeah. Now, he also hints... Well, he doesn't. He doesn't outright say this, but he picks Wesley, makes him into the same class of person. He sees this same future for Wesley, right? Yeah. That you are going to devote your life to some one great work, and that there will come a day when it will either all succeed or all fail. Oh boy! Right. This dude's a bummer. I mean, he literally tells him, "Your day will come. <laughs> like this day that I, this experiment that I'm launching, this is going to happen for you in the future." Uh, meanwhile, Wesley's burning himself out and starts this whole mess that threatens the ship, right? Mm-hmm. Although he, at least it turns out, he does have a social life one notch better than playing mental reenactments of baseball games from the 1950s. How dare you? That guy was reenacting the Giants win the pennant game. Uh, yeah, I know. That's, uh, that's better than regular masturbation, right? Was that not in 1951? No, no, I'm saying that's better than regular masturbation, though, right? The regular type? The the kind of masturbation where you do baseball stuff. That's better, right? Well, I just mean what's what's regular is going to be oh, my okay. question at that point. Like, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, you're right. 
we all what do it different. E- what even is regular? That's a, that's a good. That's a good point. Yeah. About the masturbations. Um. Anyway, I tied the two things together. So I'm always pleased when that happens. I gave it five points. Um. Okay. Oh, I also agree. Like, the idea here is, don't make your life about one thing. Yeah, I think you and Ben are both on the same track, and I am also on that same track. Um, I have a life's work can become more important than any life. Um, at first I was like, I don't know, is this one of these... Life comes in all forms, or try not to kill things that might could be sentient. I, but no, it's yeah, it's about um, it's about how your life's work can be, become more important than your life or anybody else's. Uh, right, dude's willing to die. Turns out he's also willing to kill. Oh yeah, like everyone, he's willing to kill all the nanites who may or may not be sentient, and everyone on the Enterprise who he knows to be sentient. Yeah, he, he regrets can. the deaths in the computer core. Oh, he regrets them. Well, that's good. Uh, that's yeah. why he's allowed to sit happily and do his experiment in the end, even though, um, ah, you know what? They don't have a crime. They don't have a. <laughs> there's no. They get in charge. There's no law on their books to match, match what he did. Match his crime. <laughs> um. Yeah, I I thought it was a six. I was with Ben. I thought it was on the better side of average. Uh, how did you think they executed? this episode so Stubbs sucks from the start does some crazy shit that makes everything worse and somehow avoids getting in any kind of trouble for it just happy as a clam in the end so I just was complaining about that the b-plot about Crusher worrying about her son is supposed to be our reintroduction to her I guess but I can't say I cared much about that that's nothing um and then how many times do we have to see home soil because I thought once was more than enough so I mean, a, I agree, especially because it's it doesn't it's nothing new. It's by the way, no one on the ship is at the least bit surprised when the nanites turn out to be basically intelligent because they've seen it. They've already been through this one. Yeah, yeah. To me, it was a two. I um, I definitely thought there were a couple of weak spots here. Okay, number one, Wesley really mendons it up. Yeah. By waiting until he's absolutely sure what's happening to yeah. mention it to anyone. He crawls around that ship for hours before he tells anybody what's up. Yeah. And then, like, even after he... T- usually after you talk to Guinan, that's when you go and confess the big thing. Yeah. He has to do one further. He has to talk to his mom. <laughs> that's right. Guinan didn't do the trick. Even no. though he leaves that conversation with, like, a, I know, I know, I'll tell them. Yep. Uh, it's also not clear to me if what he was doing with the nanites was in some way bad or wrong, or if he should have known it was unsafe, or if he just got unlucky. Like, was what he was doing bad science in some way? They don't make it clear. Like, they seem to think that the nanites are some way inherently dangerous, and I don't understand why. I don't know. I don't know. Because he, I don't think he expected them to develop sentience. I think he just thought they would do, like, more work together. Yeah. He thought that they would be able to, like, I don't know, pass tasks off to each other or something, right? Yeah. But, like, the they talk in this in this show, they say that there hasn't been a system-wide technological failure on a starship in 79 years. Which, which is Obviously, just they not, forgot about contagion. It's, well, I mean, it's, I think it happens a lot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, 
but but all Federation technology seems to be one minor mistake from becoming sentient and taking over. Yeah. Like Jordy can say, make an opponent capable yeah. of defeating data and the computer invents a sentient person yeah. who takes over the ship. Yeah. Not just sentient, sentient and powerful has a powerful brain. Well, we, these fucking things are microscopic, right? Mm hmm. They, they go inside of cells and do surgery. Yep. Wesley has got them in a container. With the top open. With the top open. But forget that. Yeah. The, the threads on that container yeah. look like they're about four threads per inch. Yeah, they did. A micro... Like, there's no way with that thing sealed, those things couldn't get out anyway. Yeah, how come that wasn't in, like, some sweet, high-tech, fancy metal from the space future? Yeah, how come he doesn't have them inside of Lexan, which I think is the general way we see harmful things being treated, right? Or, like, maybe transparent aluminum so we can look at them better. Well, well, yes, it would be transparent aluminum (laughs) in-universe. Right. So it's just, like, I don't understand if he did bad or he got unlucky. Well, he did bad. And that's not good. He did do bad. He did bad by not telling anybody about it. That I agree with. Well, he did bad by falling asleep because he definitely would have finished his experiment in time to not let them escape right who's letting him do an experiment where if he i mean he could have just turned his back and those fuckers could have escaped well they're microscopic so he would never be able to see them escape exactly it's insane (laughs) who authorized this if these shits are so dangerous i mean Riker. we know it was Riker. yeah but doesn't it sound like these belong to his mom there's no science teacher on this ship Right? <laughs> or if they are, so. they're not at Wesley Crusher's level. No. They they play with puppies with the ship's children. <laughs> That's what we've seen of teaching here. They have model dinosaurs that Alexander can steal. Sure. <laughs> who Who is directing Wesley's studies? We know Riker's responsible for them, but like, he's doing know, this by subspace, right? We know Worf has volunteered to tuck him in at night as well. That is correct. Uh, I, again, I think, the, uh, I think has, the nanites... That hasn't happened yet, but I yes. I think the nanites belong to his mom, so maybe... Maybe she did it. Maybe she said, yeah, play with them. They just so. They just nanites. What's going to happen? I don't know. And then why does this show hate scientists so much? Yeah, that's the real... That's now, the and real. by the way, when I say this show, I mean all of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen it much in uh, TOS yet. Uh, there have been plenty of science planets where scientists live. I don't know. Were any of those guys evil? Mm-hmm. Nah, um, in general, there was just like a salt vampire also wait, lived there, the or they got built, weird um, rays or spores. What about the guy who built, well, what was the name of, Ruck? Was that the name of the guy? And the lady? The android lady? Well, that lady? guy found Ruck. Dude, he built the android lady. He built the android lady, yeah. Wasn't that guy was evil in some way, right? He was definitely shitty, and also fucking that robot for sure. But he didn't build her like that for no reason. No. He didn't build her super sexy. Yeah, for, no, what for is nothing. It, what is it about that portrayal? Why do we keep talking about it? I'll never stop talking about it. Okay, that's fine. Um, but that guy, that also, guy was bad, probably. Also, it's not clear what Stubbs' experiment does, or if he has a theory on the line. Like, they don't, they don't build up any stakes about no, this I damn thing. Literally anyone could do his experiment, because I think it is literally just put a probe in there and like see what it's all like in there. Yeah, and Is it's it really like, weird in there? There are, he seems like the egg itself, the device for the experiment, is what he's uh, counting on to yeah. give him this great reputation. And there are some scientists who are known for their great experiment design. But uh, I think like more... Like uh, Eugene Hubble. <laughs> I think more of them are known for their theory. 
And you wouldn't really know until after this thing had collected data whether it had done anything to advance knowledge. Anyway, uh, I thought this show was pretty weak. I gave it a three. Okay. Uh, Ben's a little rosier. Yeah, he gave it a five. He didn't really give us a lot of notes on it, though. He just said the googly-eyed guy has maybe the most emphatic bridge body throw I've seen on Star Trek. He did throw himself across the bridge and then wriggle around on the ground for a while. He throws himself so bad that when he has to get taken to sickbay, you're like, yeah, he took a pretty bad fall. (laughs) He did fly across the fucking room. Uh, And just that it had a bit of a season one feel to it. Yeah, because Uh, it's the episode Home Soil. Yeah. Uh, then he wraps around on world building by saying Stubbs tells Wesley about the ancient game of baseball, which sets up that it's a dead sport because he talks about how it wasn't fast and exciting enough. Yeah, which we know about from our Deep Space Nine, but I think this is probably the first idea in canon that it no longer exists. Yeah. Um, now there's a nanite colony. They've created a new Borg-like threat and no one thinks twice. Okay. So he was a three on the world building. What uh, yeah. were you? Uh, uh, I'm only a two. Okay. Here's what I've got. No systems-wide technological failure on a starship in 79 years, they say. That is dubious. This is very dubious. That's got to have a bunch of asterisks after it. Yeah. Well, technically, are made in-, in that one episode, I think um, the lighting worked, so it's, that counts. <laughs> well, it seemed like a system-wide technological failure, but really it was the result of the Iconian probe virus, and that's not the fault of Starfleet. So, you understand why, even though it's happened five times. They've all been special. Anyway, yeah. uh, nanites are made in Dakar. Yeah, in uh, B- Bangladesh. Uh, baseball doesn't make it, and it seems like the cutting edge of science now requires studying pretty rare and violent phenomena. Yeah. Like, this is going to open a new era of astrophysics research for these guys, so. I guess a uh, pretty boring time to be an astrophysicist unless you have access to one of these uh, neutron stars. Yeah. White dwarf? Was it just a white dwarf? You would think they'd have neutron star? lots to study in the entire galaxy, but I guess it's I pretty slow. write it down. I guess it's pretty slow. Yeah, seems slow. Um, uh, I gave it this, the two. I don't think any of that really has any implication on the actual show. Well, that's because you left out a ton of shit. You didn't mention well, let's that hear it, it was the Cavus, Cavus Alpha system. <laughs> okay. They also, give the they give the nanites the planet Cavus Alpha 4, by the way. Yeah, also... By the way, in a, they give a planet in a system where there's a huge stellar explosion every 200 years. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> hey, if you make it that long, fuck you. No idea whether that's survivable to the nanites. Does it give off the kind of upper gamma radiation that wipes them out? Oh, yeah. Seems like it might. Because also that's about to happen in 10 minutes, too. Well, it's not clear when they leave the ship, but yes. Um, Actually, I did write down. They're studying the decay of neutronium from massive massive stellar explosions. That must be why I thought it was a neutron star. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, did the uniform colors change ever so slightly, or is it the lighting? Uh, I think it's the light. So we covered this very, very, very briefly at the top, but they, uh, in addition to the uniform changes, it does seem like they have gone up a budget on some things. Like yeah. the special effects in this episode are a lot better than season two. Yes. They got that new budget. Uh, yeah. The uniforms They've got are some different. moodier lighting, so I think there could just be lighting changes. Yeah, the uniforms have got them high collars on the officers, um, or at least the senior officers. It looks seems like the junior officers in season three are still wearing the old uniforms. 
Um, I think three and four, they still wear the old ones. But not only that, but these aren't the final high-collared uniforms. Right. These are the three-panel with uh, darts, I think they're called, on the sides to try and make them more form-fitting. Uh-huh. But, like, in high def, you can really see them. Yeah. Um, uh, Dr. Crusher had a staff in this episode. Yes. Um, the terminology food slot instead of replicator. <laughs> well, you think that's not significant? I almost gave it 10 points. Um, <laughs> as tactical officer, Worf has some responsibility for the upkeep and repair of the defense systems. By the way, by the way, uh, let's talk about, let's do a small touch here. When she goes to Picard and like, it's possible that we think she's just there to report the replicator malfunction because we don't see that. But, but clearly Picard knows it. about it because he tries to cut her off when she yeah. comes in. He's like, oh, God, why is she here saying, for? I'm going to also look into the replicator, please. And, and then she really defensively says, which has fixed itself, by the way. That's right. Which means you're still in Like, for now it. I look like an ass for calling up to the ship's captain and complaining about the food slot. That's right. Uh, you're right. Yeah, he sees her come in and he's like, um, and whoever he's talking to, Data or, well, I don't know, Jordy, whoever it is. And he's like, and uh, look into the replicators too. Check, check up on that. Because I don't want to have to get a fucking earful about it. Listen, these these uniforms no longer unzip in the front. I don't know what she's going to do. So <laughs> It's going to get wild in here. It's going to have to take the whole thing off, I think, now. Uh, I was just saying, as tactical officer, Worf has some responsibility for the upkeep and repair of the defense systems. Because he is asked to go with Jordy and work on... Uh, the shields yeah well you know captain picard likes his junior officers to learn 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 oh good old season one wharf we'll never see his kind again i think uh again data said that thing about ships wide ship wide system failures um talked about the nanites being meant for surgery uh the egg looks like a big old exocomp to me um it's a reuse of a sample container for something else, but yes, it does. It is the same hexagonal shape tapering in the front. With like a blunt, like a real stubby pencil, basically. I think it's just sitting on a stand. I don't think those are its feet. Ah, okay. Uh, baseball died because it wasn't cool enough. Hey, look, the writer's got something right. Because it is slowly dying because it's not cool enough. But still, Jack but will it? Honestly. But what will happen when football dies? Uh, they don't say. They don't know, I don't know if um, zero-G football is going to take off. Yeah. I mean, in the real world. I don't know if baseball will die. Um, I think the death of football will prop it up. We shall see. Uh, Guinan said it took like several hundred years for her to make her kids stop being a shit. So there's some lifespan stuff with her. Yeah. Uh, for me, it but, was But uh, we already got from that real casual conversation with Wesley that she's very old. Yeah. Well, they say you're from... <laughs> they say you're from... Uh, oh, what does he say? Yeah, I don't remember now. It's such a good... I wish I took a clip of it, because it's so good. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Where does Wesley... Think Guinan is from. Let's see. Novacron. It's Novacron. No, I, I, I didn't say you're from Novacron. I didn't need to finish my search. I remember. <laughs> they, uh, they say you're from Novacron, and... Uh... <laughs> I wonder if he got wet that day. You know he got wet? Oh, do you think? I I don't know. He was going for it. He was taking his shot. That's the smoothest he has ever been. Yeah. Ordinarily, he's carrying around a huge bowl of chocolate pudding all the time. <laughs> my mom isn't. My mom's not listening to me today. Do you want to have sex? Um, 
characterization. I gave it a three. Did you see it? Oh, you three? were three in world building, and uh, Ben was a three too. I don't know if you said that, but you. I you did. I did the quote. wraparound on his, which uh, that they created another Borg, and no one said anything. Um, yeah, let's have it. Picard loves science in his own way, but neither he nor Riker seem overly impressed by this guy and his egg. No, they they treat this guy like he's a real Kaczynski. Yeah, like he's on the bridge, and he's a little bit dismissive of Picard. But, like, Picard does a lot of face acting. A lot of eye rolls and shit. Well, he gives the universal signal that he's a villain when he tells Picard that he has full mission authority. <laughs> Just like every Commodore in TOS. Just every TOS <laughs> Commodore. <laughs> yeah. Ambassador Fox. That guy was a fucker. Ambassador Fox particularly. Yeah. Uh, again, Picard has to put up with the platonic visits from Beverly again. Um... Picard is still familiar with Sousa. Data points out that it's a Sousa march, and Picard is like, yeah, I know that. I know I ordinarily listen to French composers, but I... I know this guy. 300 years in the future, all different types of music have sort of smashed together. Picard finally does give the order to, like, get ready to kill those nanites. But does... Does is that a ploy? Does he know that they're going to be able to hear that, and then they'll be desperate enough to make contact, or is he just like, nah, let's just kill him? I think he. I mean, we'll see this with another captain. I think he's just an, has reached enough as enough point. Okay. And also, and I know this is a lousy calculus to make, but all Wesley had to do to create this situation was let two nanites loose at the same time. Like he can clearly make more of these fuckers whenever he wants. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um. Again, Crusher gave her hand-waving explanation about where she was. Uh, she sasses the computer the same way I do Alexa. <laughs> I had to whisper it. <laughs> Sometimes she's awake. Um, but she just she's just like su- super frustrated and sarcastic with the machine all the time. Um, Dr. Crusher's worried about Wesley not being a regular boy, and then she's mad he's giving his two inches to that blonde in 10 forward. <laughs> Um, uh, Wesley Dunn fucked up and didn't say anything to anybody about his stupid nanite problem because he is 17. Get it? That's what's happening. He is acting like a real boy. Wesley always gets an A. I always get an A. I got so sick of hearing that on that mobile game. You know, the Lion oh, game no. that said the game was best enjoyed with the sound turned up? No, talk. I never listened to the sound on those fuckers. The game was such a liar. Yeah, okay. But that was the only game I remember ever hearing. Like, it actually told me that. It was like, you know, you're really going to want the sound up for this. It's it's pretty good. And Wesley's clip was, I always, I get, always an get an A. I always get an A. And I just, after hearing it like 600 times, it was like, all right, I can't do it anymore. I'm out. <laughs> Uh, let's see. What did, wait, what did fucking Simon Tarsis say? They didn't all get audio, which was kind of oh. lame. Because he had, where he should have said, on the advice of counsel, like, I choose not to answer that question in that the answer may serve to incriminate me. That's the only thing he ever said of value. Seventh guarantee. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Guinan used husband's plural in her conversation with Wesley, and she's got, like, a whole brood of kids. She's old as hell, why not? Um... Uh, she also has got some ideas about... Also, dog, she might be from Novacron. <laughs> I've heard. You know they nasty. They say she's from Novacron. Well, they say... I'm sorry. <laughs> um, 
she uh, also has got some ideas about scientists because she uh, she compares Wesley to F- Dr. Frankenstein. Um, Worf just wants people to listen to him about killing the nanites. I don't think he really wants to do it. That's <laughs> what I heard in his voice. I heard, <laughs> will you just... Just listen to me, and then once you say that sounds like a good idea, then we can talk about it. But, just, I'm doing my job here. Yeah, but I just so need rude. you to acknowledge that I'm doing my job. Yeah, I, I really think if they just said, "Well, that that idea has merit," let's discuss it. I think he'd be fine either way with what they did next. But that's what I got out of it. Um, for me, it was a four, kind of on the poor side of average. Well, I also gave it a four. Um, long-suffering Picard has to put up with another arrogant scientist with nebulous mission authority. Mm-hmm. But he makes peace with a new species in roughly three lines of dialogue. He's He works pretty quick in that room with nanite data. data. Data volunteers for a useless suicide mission. It's really dumb. No indication at all that it's necessary. He just stands up and goes, put him in my mouth! Put him right down my fucking throat, I'll eat him! Uh, Worf, Jordy, Riker, even Guinan to some extent are pretty much on Little League detail in this one. Guinan gets more of a hand in than most of them. But you're kind of right that it did feel like it was the obligatory Guinan advice scene. Yeah. Here's the thing. Season 2 had a bunch of good Guinan scenes. That was sort of the best part of Season 2. Kind of the best part of Season 2. This, uh, her scenes here are not amazing. Her scene with Crusher at the end is fine. Yeah. Um, but... The uh, Frankenstein scene, I mm. I don't understand how that works. Like, first of all, that scene's bad. It's not a good scene. Secondly, as soon as you say, you know, I knew a doctor once, went by the name of Frankenstein, <laughs> Wesley's making a jack-off motion, right? Yeah, like, I'm out. Thanks. Thanks like, wouldn't you just help. turn to her and say, I get it? <laughs> yeah, all right. Okay, thank you. I know where you stand on this one. All right, Jesus. I, you know, I once... Uh... I knew a Frenchman once. His name was Napoleon. You just go, what? (laughs) What are you talking about? Stupid thing to say. (laughs) Um, But Wesley's less mature in this one than he was in Justice when he was like, yeah, I did the the plant. You can kill me. (laughs) You know, I knew knew an Indian once. His name was Kanunian Singh. I, I get it, Guinan. <laughs> Thanks. I see what you're doing. I appreciate what you're doing, and I I also reject it. Uh, ben also was a four on characterization. Okay. Uh, she says that she finds it hard to stay confined. Guinan says that she finds it hard to stay confined to quarters, and that her husbands will attest to that. Oh. He wonders if um she's had she has been unfaithful. You know, I didn't know. What I wonder if her either. husbands were locking her up. That's what I thought, and I thought. It's kind of a weird thing to say, but I, it's more—it's more playful if she's making a reference to marital infidelity for sure. But also kind of wild. Anyway, that's all I have to say about characterization. But it is a four for him. Okay. His uh, quick hitters—he liked the opening shot. It's probably the best shot of the Enterprise in space so far. I would say. Yeah, like we talked about, the show looked better. It did. Uh, he noticed that the shuttle bay has caution variable gravity area painted on the back wall. I also noticed it. I felt like the kerning was bad on that sign. Too much space between gravity and area. Oh, I thought you were saying there wasn't enough Tony Todd. Well. <laughs> the kerning was bad. <laughs> There's rarely enough. That's what I've, I've thought about most of the episodes. The kerning's really bad in this one. Who's this other Klingon? He's not Kern. 
Uh, boy, we've covered so many of my quick hitters. Yeah, I know. What was Wesley eating? I said that too. <laughs> New uniforms. Welcome back, Gates. Okay, does Crusher go to Picard with her parenting question? Because she knows that he is a real mama's boy. And he mm. idolized his own dear mama. Could be. And so she is seeking out the advice that she wants rather than honest advice. It's true that I think not only that, but just based on the fact that he low-key wants to rough her up sexually, that um, <laughs> that no matter what, he's going to give the answer she wants. So I think you're right. I think she was seeking some advice that would make her feel better about herself. Right. Um, let's see. Hey, um, hey, Stubbs thinks that if you get bit by a mosquito, you call an exterminator. <laughs> That's what I do. An Every exterminator. Time. Every time I've ever been bit by a mosquito, I go back to the park or wherever I got bit with an exterminator. And I and say, you, you take care of this. You bring the Orkin man right to the park. It was over say, here. Hey. It was over by this pond. You get him. Do your damn job. Hey, I got bit here and I want to know what you're going to do about it. Stubbs looks like the shabbiest possible version of Nathan Fillion. <laughs> it's true. He's probably about the same age now, right? That's probably oh, Nathan, Nathan Fillion, Fillion now. now is the age Stubbs was when this was filmed forty years ago and, and thirty years ago. Sorry. And to be fair, Nathan Fillion does look like he's melted a little bit. Yeah, but I think you're right. I think if he was like fifty or sixty percent shabbier, he'd look like this dude. It's his clothes, too. Like, he's got that space Old West Firefly look, oh. but but also totally unstructured and slouchy. Yes, that's right. Like, they were built for Nathan Fillion, who's three inches taller and broader in the shoulders, and that's why they're just real sloppy on this boy. Also, he's, he's working that real 90s look of having shirts that were just way too big for you. And you go, why are you wearing that shirt like that? Well, not only is it, it's a huge shirt, but it's also a great big cowl neck, That's yes. uh, so it's always half flopping around. Uh, so I said his clothes are very ugly, but they look comfortable. That's true. He probably, that's what he's worried about. He's a scientist. He's a fucking scientist. He doesn't care. Doesn't care what kind of Nathan Fillion he looks like. That's right. He could be, he could be young, hot Nathan Fillion. I don't know. I'm not qualified to judge. Or he could be old. There was a time. There was a time in our society when that I believe was the opinion. Was it? But was it based on his um, sarcastic personality? I think it was based on John Hamm hadn't been invented yet. Oh, yeah, he had not. Right, because uh, he's a good-looking guy who can also do funny stuff. Right, but he's but he's much better looking. He's he's much he's much better. I am for some reason I do feel qualified to say that. I don't know what that says. He's a lot better looking. For some reason, I felt like I was unqualified to offer an opinion on young Nathan Fillion, but I feel 100% qualified to say that John Hamm's good looking. I guess maybe it's just because John Hamm is classically good looking and Nathan Fillion is like niche good looking and you're not. It's usually a You guess. don't feel in touch with that. Marjan says I should try to look at it like, um, which one would I rather look like? And that's how I'll have an opinion on which guy is hot. Mm. I guess I'd rather look like John Hamm. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Um, uh, everybody, please I, send us your thoughts. Uh, who do you think is hotter, young, young, hot Nathan Fillion or John Hamm? Yeah, so by any era, John Hamm. Who cares? Yeah, it doesn't matter. Uh, a generation for these nanites is like ten seconds, right? Mm. But they can afford to wait hours or days to be relocated to some planet, and they can rebuild the computer core without like um, all starving to death somehow. 
Yeah, they should have qualified. I'm just saying it's TOS level thinking, where they just at the end you just hear one sentence about how the problem was fixed. Yeah, they should have qualified what they were talking about. And then can we talk about Wesley's friends at the end here for a second? Sure. They seem like they go to elementary schools dressed just like that and doing raps about crossing the street safely. (laughs) Such bright primary colors and several of them had overalls on. Again, not only were the 90s a tough time, but it seemed like in the 90s they thought the future was going to be real stupid. Yeah. Like the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, they were like, and in the future, if you're 16, you'll basically be five. That's it. <laughs> so here's my theory. Time is circular. <laughs> the future is going to be like, leave it to beaver, <laughs> but more colorful. You, you'll be going to high school, but like, you'll like, you'll dress like you're a little kid. A real yeah. little kid. That's what's you'll cool. You'll wear your Oshkosh. I mean, it's going to be good. <laughs> Give me good Your times. overalls won't be like um, legit colors. They'll be like uh, pink and neon greens and yellows and stuff. This is uh, this is normally not my province, but I'm awarding Troy the anti MVP of this episode. Oh, good. I don't think she reached Stubbs at all. No, she, she just... has a couple of scenes where she's trying to get him to like have an emotion or like exist in an emotional way at all. I don't think she gets to him. Even a little. She does not seem to. They, he, she basically comes in and he goes, hey, fuck you. And she goes, well, fuck you. And then that's it. That's the, <laughs> their whole conversation. Except that would have been such such a much better scene. If it was more like the, the conversation between Jack Black's character and High Fidelity and the guy who comes in looking for I just called to say I love you for his daughter. <laughs> that's what that scene reminded me of. Although he does, he is starting to set the precedent for, oh, here comes Counselor Troy. Yeah. We're gonna She's gonna tell me about my feelings. That's right. Yeah. And uh, later, this is gonna get her totally seduced. So, oh, I don't want to think about it. Start it's of this a bad season. Oh, it's coming. No, it's coming. I gave best actor to Picard. No good reason. These, but uh, I I gave worst actor to Frankenstein Guinan. I didn't understand that scene, and I don't think she did a good job. With okay. It. Yeah, you weren't you weren't gonna blame the writers for that. That's on uh, the writers Ruby. did bad, but she didn't fix it. She's the best, one of the best actors on this show, we determined last season. Yeah. Um, let's see what I got. Uh, Stubbs, don't talk to the kids on board, please, you fucking creep. He just walks onto the bridge and looks over at the one kid on the bridge and is like, hey. Hey there. How cool is this? I'm doing science. Do you like science? Uh, again, we all know what Wonderkind means. You explaining that it's German for Wonder Child is moronically redundant. Um... Dude, Troy looked rough in this episode. Did they change uh, her makeup? I don't know if they changed her makeup or they told her she needed to drop 10 pounds or something, but I agree. She looked tired and sad. Yeah. Um. And again, I already talked about the Giants win the pennant, and why do they need the nanites inside of Data? He can already chat with them on AIM. So that yeah. should have been fine. Uh, that's all I had. Well, yeah. Fourth place last week was Voyager. <sighs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> that means this week we watched Sacred Ground. Yes, 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 that deliciously meaningless. Yes, 
I don't recognize that particular magnetic field song. It's called Meaningless. Good, that's because that's what you thought of this episode. <laughs> no, dog, that's the key. When Schmullis says that the whole treatment has been meaningless, uh-huh. Janeway suddenly remembers that Yoda told her 50 times yeah. this is all meaningless. All right, let's get into it. Um, all right. Hey, they, they're taking short leave on another planet. I got <laughs> so mad. I got so mad. It opens with, hey, we found these guys. They seem pretty nice. We went to go do short leave. And I went, no, no. It's like they Every got in week? touch with these people. And Janeway was like, that's fucking Tam Elbrun. <laughs> we gotta have I don't know what leave. he's doing here. We got to have short leave there and figure out what's up. <laughs> I know him from the Garushta incident. Uh boy. I don't even want to describe this episode. Okay. Uh, they're walking around some some tunnels because they're taking in the sights, and these are some religious uh, type tunnels. And when you go in them, um, maybe you get zapped. Yeah, Kes goes somewhere that she shouldn't, though it is not signed. No, it is not signed at all. She just walks around and she walks a little too close to the spirits or whatever. There's like a bright ass archway, and she walks right up to it, and she gets zapped into unconsciousness. So pff, we're off to a good start. Thank God. That they went down to this planet for shore leave. Um, they try to fix her on the ship, but God, they can't figure it out. It's a tough one. A real head-scratcher. Tam Elbrun shows up, but he's not named Tam Elbrun. He's something else. I don't know. I don't know if they say his name, just like they never say yeah, he's some Janeway's kind of, guide's name. He's some kind of magistrate or something. Yeah, they say magistrate. Yeah. Uh, it was in this episode that I realized that he really looks like a, a smaller boring Will Ferrell. <laughs> That's what Tam Elbrun looks like to me. Oh, we keep saying Tam Elbrun. He's from a future Star Trek TNG We'll talk about we'll Tam Elbrun. He's season. the guest star of a uh, an upcoming Star Trek. Yeah. Um. Alright, so that guy's like, man, I can't explain it. She just got straight zapped. It happens sometimes in those tunnels. Shit, be weird out there, them spirits. Anyway, uh, we have uh, we have a separation of church and state here, but like to an extreme degree. And uh, the monks say she's just gonna die. Yeah, they get, she's gonna die. There ain't nothing you can do about it. Uh, <clears throat> Neelix needs something to do, I guess. So he goes digging into their dumb files to figure out w- what it is, and he comes up with a story that sounds like it's half myth, but um, about a king from a long time ago whose kid got zapped just like that. And he went to the spirits and begged uh, for them to help the kid get better. So he says that shit to Janeway and she's like, that sounds like an excellent plan. Let's talk to the spirits. Um, she goes to Chakotay and explains her plan and he's like, I should be the one to go, right? I'm, I'm the Chakotay around here. I'm Chakotay. She's like, no, I'm going to go do it, though, because I'm going to. We're going to do a science experiment. With these spirits. I'm going to like take readings. You're going to have a sensor under my skin or whatever. Like figures out what's going on with my body. Okay. So like there's some monks. Sorry. I should have got to this part. There's some monks down there that can um, not get zapped. Because they've gone through a ritual. They do a ritual and it lets them approach the altar and they don't get zapped at all. They don't get zapped. So she's going to. That's how she's going to talk to the spirits. She's going to get through the zap area because she's going to go through the ritual the monks go through. So right. she's gonna, and then she's going to, uh, nominally, she's going to plead with the spirits for Kess's life. In reality, she just, uh, her plan is just to try and figure out why the ritual 
prevents you from getting zapped and hope that Schmollis can do something with that information. Backup plan, she finds out that the spirit is the same one that Spock's brother took everybody to. And she knows she can just (laughs) shoot him to death. Right. And also, what does God need with a starship? That's right. It's a good... the The only line in that entire film that's not terrible. That is a garbage movie? Yes. That starts with Captain Kirk free climbing El Capitan because it's there bro that's why and by the way falling to his death if Spock didn't have rocket boots which he will later use to take all three of them up to the 76th level on a ship that's got about 20 anyway every part of that movie seemed like the characters brought a wish list what does God need with a starship like the actors brought a wish list to the director and they said I want this in the movie and Leonard Nimoy said rocket boots also, you can rent my horses for the desert scene where Uhura has insisted that she dance nude. <laughs> That's correct. Every part of this film. <laughs> I think uh, Dewan said, uh, I want to like to do some slapstick. I ain't, been, I ain't done none of that in a while. Can I uh, hurt my head somehow? Real deplorable film. Um, all right. So Janeway goes down to the planet and she's all equipped with sensors or whatever. She's going she's gonna to figure this one out. Um, she meets uh, a lady trying to fix a light who she is instantly annoyed with. Yeah. Wants this lady dead. She wants to have her brains all over her shoes. Doc, she is Yoda on the Dagobah scene. Yeah. First, she pretends not to to be just a random person. Mm-hmm. Then she takes her tricorder and yep. says, mine it is. Or help you, I will not. <laughs> or help you, I will not. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. It turns out to be her guide for this um, little uh, excursion uh, to... To become a monk or whatever. Go through yep. the, the ceremony. And Janeway, guess what? She's got some expectations about what this is going to entail based on all the reading she's done or whatever. So she thinks... Oh, and by the way, the woman immediately says, you're going to get, you're going to try to get all this data with the thing under your skin and oh, yeah. everything like that. And uh, that's fine. We don't care. Who gives a shit? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> no one's like, how do you know that? Yeah. How'd you find that thing? What are you talking about? Um... So, uh, yeah, Janeway's like, uh, so what do I got to do? I got to hold this rock for a really long time, right? And she's like, not really. And she's like, but oh, I- you're going to, you're going to skip, you're going to skip right oh, over. Sorry. Okay. So she, she the she, amateur theater production. I wanted to skip the whole fucking thing. Um, yeah, she, there's a waiting room. She like walks into a room and the door closes and she's like, she sees some old people in there and they play a real fucking Abbott and Costello in there about how long they've been there and who they are and what they're doing there. It turns out they've been waiting for such a long time they can't even remember. She's like, oh, I gotta be real persistent. That's this challenge. So I'm gonna knock on the door twice. And when she knocks on the door twice, the lady lets her out. And then she's like, what's this rock? You want me to hold this rock a long time, right? And the lady's like, yeah, I don't know, I guess. If you want. So she holds the rock so long. Like, longer than anyone should hold it. And... Um, you know, the doctor's getting all the data about showing that she's working real hard down there. And if she holds that rock for a while, look, Janeway has expectations about what's going to happen down there. And so she makes up a bunch of shit in her head that she thinks she should do. And the lady goes along with it to teach her a dang lesson. Right. Okay. Yeah. One of the things is she gets bit by a snake Uh and, uh, that does something and Shmolus thinks, hey, maybe we did get some data from this dumb shit. Yeah. So they use that. He's like, okay, based on what we got uh, on that data, I'm gonna make a, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna use that information, and I'm gonna inject Kess with some of this shit, and then 
That should fix her. But no, it makes her worse. By the way, Janeway is not paying attention because her guide tells her about 15 times. We're doing this because this is what you think we should be doing. Yeah, she tells her to and, her face over and over again. And this is all meaningless. Yep. Uh, anyway, she has like a... She has like a vision, too. I don't know if we talked about that. Where she goes, she gets locked in the box. And she oh, yeah. They, yeah. they put her in a coffin and she hallucinates. That she already has exactly what she needs. To yeah. Fix, Cass. Anyway... Um. So after the the poison thing doesn't work, and Kes gets much worse, she goes back down there and she's like, "Hey, you said that that I already had what I needed, or whatever. Or we were gonna figure this thing out. Like I I was gonna save Kes, and they're like, Nah, you gotta like um. Yeah, you gotta. Well, okay. So she beams Kes down because she's been told that she's just gotta like walk Kes up to that force field." And if she, like, really believes super hard yep, that she'll not only get through the force field, but then, I don't know, Cass will probably be okay. Yeah, don't. they tell her, uh, your science is no better than our faith. You mm-hmm. need to have blind faith. If you believe hard enough, if you can make yourself believe yeah. that the spirits will heal Cass, then that's what'll happen. Yeah, so she believes as hard as she can, and uh, she beams Cass down, and, like, uh, Neelix is trying to talk her out of it, and she, everyone's trying to talk her out of it, but she's like, nah, I, I'm... I gotta save Cass, and this is the only way, so I'm gonna do it. So she walks through the force field, and then Cass is fine. Right? Yeah. And then they get up yep. there, and the doctor's giving a scientific explanation of what happened, a, a medical explanation. Yeah, it turns out there was iridium in those caves. Yeah. <clears throat> and, but then uh, Janeway looks down her nose at him like, um, What do you know? What science, you know? man. Yeah, science ain't nothing. I did it with my faith. <sighs> hey, uh, what was it? This one. Oh, uh, the uh, the take for this episode is might as well believe anything, I guess. <laughs> yeah. For sure. That's a, I get that that's the cynical take, but that's the actual take. Yeah. That belief is what matters. I mean, literally, that is what saves the day. I mean, yeah. Janeway really believes it at the end. You can tell. Well, what's that worth? Oh, it's not worth any points. That's a zero. Yeah, I am. It's a fat zero. I'm in full agreement. It was a zero for me. Mine was, uh, oh, wow, science ain't better than religion after all, so eat it, Gene. Yeah, suck it, Gene. Suck a dick. (laughs) I had negative 10 million points is what I wrote. Um, I was going to say something like, I have to take a leap of faith, which would have earned almost no points. But the way she looks down her nose at the doctor in the end when yeah. he's explaining what happened and she's like basking in the glow of her newfound faith. Yeah. I had to think this was a makeup episode for all the times like Picard laughed at somebody's faith. Yes. They had to go back and be like, no, nah, it's valid. It's so anti-Star Trek, but also so anti-science that I just yeah. threw my hands up and said, oh, wow, 50 times in this episode. Yeah, the Star Trek writers hate science and scientists. Yep. So yeah, zero for me, zero for you. What did uh? I just want I just want to double down on this for a second. Okay. Every clue in this episode suggests that these monks know science. Mm-hmm. Like, they detect. First of all, the the cave is lit by some kind of weird fancy light technology. Yeah. Right. And Yoda wants them to upgrade to an even fancier light technology that works better. Yep. 
She understands what a tricorder is, and she knows all about the signals being sent back up to the ship. Sure. And she says over and over again, you know, eventually you'll come up with a scientific explanation for this. Yep. And yet at the end of the day... The great scientist we've been led to believe, Jane. The great scientist Janeway, who loves only science. And reads all about those... And dogs. Reads all about those Kent State experiments. And Victorian men. Right. Uh, Has the most shit-smelling look on her face (laughs) as Shmola sits there and does the bad Voyager techno babble. Yeah. And it's not because she's sick of the bad Voyager techno battle. No, that's the look I it was giving. It doesn't make any sense. Until I saw the look she was giving. Because the iridium in the caves, a heavy metal, uh, creates a temporary dielectric effect in the skin that protects you from the biogenic energy. Mm. I didn't write that down. I remembered it. It was so bad. <laughs> Good job. Uh, that's not why she has that bad look on her face. It's because... She has faith now in the ancient spirits on this planet that they are warping away from as fast as they can. Yeah. Yeah. What a garbage take. (laughs) Well, that's all about the take. We didn't even get into execution. Yeah. (laughs) It's your turn. How do you do execution-wise? I'll just say that Ben uh, gave it a three on take. He said, spiritual journeys are about your personal development, not ritual. And he says it's not hot and not trek. You know what? Even that would be fine. If that's what it was, yeah. I would, I would even take something about how ritual uh, is empty and ultimately you have to get your own meaning out of it. Mm-hmm. Fine. Into it. Yeah. That's the end of Rightful Air, right? Yeah. That is true with the uh, fake Kaless. Where they're like, you know what? We need a Kaless anyway. Yeah, even though he's not so good at like knife fighting, that's not important. Right. Even even though it's uh this is all kind of a sham. It still represents that's fine. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and he gave it a two in execution. He says, uh, Voyager does this take particularly bad. Um they keep going back to the spiritualism well and it just never pays off. That hissing basket was a dune ripoff. <laughs> Why are we supposed to buy into this one off <laughs> alien religion? Um, and by the way, he's for dumping Kess on that planet and going, which I agree with. Um, so anyway, so we, uh, we covered that I was a zero as well. Execution. Um, so I get all the parts where the lady is giving Janeway a BS experience down there because she's a fucking tourist and she doesn't believe in this shit. That's just a good prank. It's a great prank. To be like, and yeah, Janeway that... is so susceptible to it. Oh, I know. The rock's heavy. Yeah, you just gotta stick with it, though. You never know what'll happen. Um, But to have Janeway believe in the end that some sort of dang old magic spirits saved her and Cass is sort of wild. Like It's extremely wild. Picard and maybe Kirk, but not Spock, the universe's greatest Judeo-Christian monotheist. <laughs> um <laughs> Would have assumed that they were, like, just beings with greater power and sophistication, and spirits was just the easiest way to frame their existence, and you can tell Janeway is like, nah, though, I met God, so, like, fuck your science and fuck Kent State. It's three old people in a room doing a bad play. Mm-hmm. Also, this was pretty dull. I paused it to do other shit about a dozen times, and it took me, like, two hours to watch the whole thing. Um... A little bit of theory corner in the execution here, but do, do they already know they want to get rid of Jennifer Lean? 
Because this episode starts with Cass on vacation, and then she just plays an unconscious person for 40 minutes. Like, I don't blame him because the character's nothing, but, like, just get rid of her if you want to get rid of her. Right? I mean, is it, do they already know that they want to dump her? It's hard to say. Because I just, I don't understand what, I mean, she hasn't even been in it in ages. She doesn't do anything ever. And in this one, they literally just have her be an unconscious person. Again, this is a, this is filmed at the end of season two for Voyager. Right. So whatever happens in the off season hasn't even happened yet. Yeah. Uh, It was a three for me. Well, I was not feeling so charitable. Okay. Uh, I gave it a full zero. Oh, ouch. A now, double zero. This is, again, this is not a no take. Yeah. Yes, um, this was the first non no take zero that I've given for the, uh, the zero take. This is Tom Paris's directing debut. Oh, no. Robert Duncan McNeil. He got a bad one. When. <clears throat> Schmullis, who is very manic in the scene where he's trying to cure Cass, mm-hmm. used the word meaningless that Yoda had used about 15 times. I assumed we were doing a frame of mind or a future imperfect. Mm. And it would like, she this is still, still in, in Janeway's original hallucination. Yeah. But I guess not. I guess all of that really happened. And she was climbing around on rocks and shit. And I guess those old people sitting in the cave were real people. Fuck me. <laughs> Especially that part with the old people. <laughs> yeah, she revisits them again the second time, and then she's real patient with them. Like, first she thinks they're the gods, and then they get mad about that, and then she's just like, "So I was supposed to sit down and listen." She's doing the exact same shit, and I think they just get frustrated with her and tell her, "Look, you just gotta believe and touch the thing." Yeah, we're tired of you now. We're tired of this. Just go, go walk up to the field. <laughs> listen, we thought you were gonna get it the first time. <laughs> When you walked in and we did our little play about having been waiting waiting here for so long that we didn't remember how long we'd been here. We actually tried our best to let you understand. I mean, we told you over and over again. I mean, it's just so terrible. It's just such a terrible episode. It was bad. It was there was There's bad. nothing good in it. There's like one interesting thing about Chakotay's mom that I'll talk about in Quick Hitters. The only thing I found interesting was the thing I pointed out where they are just going to let her be a fucking idiot down there. Like, they're like, you want to hold some rocks? Hold some fucking rocks. You know, you want to get bit by a snake or whatever? I don't give a shit. What do you want to do? Yeah, these monks are cool pranksters for sure. Yeah. Then gave this a one for world building. Yeah. Says, uh, throw away aliens, and Janeway's just in her head anyway, so there's nothing of real value here. Sure. Yeah. I mean... What did you have? Yeah, I gave it a one also. I said, um, we learned in this one that Chakotay's vision quests are scientific and not magical. Well, that's good. Right. Sometimes you can't tell. He says, they have this conversation where he says to her, uh... What do you think you're going to get out of this ritual? You don't believe in any of this shit. Yep. And she says, that's fine. I read about like 50 of these rituals. <laughs> she did a book report cool. one time or something. I'm going to find out how the science of all of this thing works anyway. And he's like, yeah, you know, my, when my mom, remember when my mom explained to me the science of the vision quest? Yeah. 
And it made me feel like the whole thing was a little cheaper somehow. Yeah. I remember because he left his whole tribe when he was 15 because he thought they were a bunch of bullshitters. Yeah. So I guess the fact that there is known science behind whatever is happening when he uh, puts that swirly light thing on and Janeway could just have a vision quest. Mm -hmm. I guess that's scientific. Okay. One point. Oh, okay. Well, you missed these hot ones. Check this out. I can't wait. I can't wait to hear the names of the star systems and the monastery and The so Nikani are the aliens. They think their weird shrine force field is controlled by spirits or whatever. An intense biogenic field causing neuroleptic shock. The shamans of the Kalos tribe on Delios 7 get fancy electric skin after undergoing rituals. The monks on this ding-dang old planet go through a ceremony that allow them to pass through the biogenic fields. It's a one for me as well. Yeah. What did you think of characterization? Neelix tells this BS story about King Nevig pleading with the spirits for his son's health. And like I said, Janeway just looks at him and goes, yeah, it should work. Let's try that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, let's see. She refuses the phaser and Tuvok. By the way. It. Neelix doesn't believe the story. No, he's obviously bullcrap. He's like, I know what a fairy tale sounds like, but <laughs> this is literally the only scenario that I was able to find where someone got bit by this fucking shrine. Yeah, and they, like, survived or whatever. Yeah. Um, she refuses the phaser the Tuvok officer going down. Uh, she hates this lady fixing the light who turns out to be her guide. I don't know why, though. She wasn't doing anything. Why did they have to strip her naked and paint her body? So that we could see Janeway's naked back. God. Yeah, it was a request she made to the to uh, to what's his name Tom Paris. She said, "I like to be. I like to show off my my hot Bob, naked back. What if I was naked?" <laughs> I, hope that, I assume she calls him Bob. I hope that was the entire request. <laughs> Bob, what if I was naked? Is like his first his first directorial assignment. He's like, oh they man, probably filmed, oh. they probably filmed that scene first too. So he's probably had like first time director jitters real bad. Oh god. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I uh, painter more, I guess. Jesus. <laughs> uh, she jumps to the wild conclusion that if she believes, the spirits will be nice to her. Uh, Chakote suggests maybe they're real fucking spirits because... Uh, so so she doesn't. So here's what's here's the even wilder thing about this. She decides that she has no choice but to believe. And somehow she's able to believe. <laughs> That's right. That's how it works. I can always trick my brain like that. She just that. tricks herself in. This is what I think when someone is like, no, you know what? I'm a Buddhist now. Yeah. And I'm like, well, but I mean... How'd you get there? How did you decide to start believing that? Yeah. That's like when I'm laying uh, awake at night and I'm, and I'm like, I'm just going to decide to go to sleep. <laughs> um, I don't have any choice. I need sleep. It's time to decide it. Um, uh, let's see. Like I said, he, Chakotay abandoned his tribe when he was 15 because he thought it was all nonsense garbage. So, of course, he would say that maybe the spirits are real. What is Chakotay? He's a confused man who should not be in a position of power. But he's, he both sleeps with and hits his subordinates, so. <laughs> oh, you want to play this like the Maquis, huh? All right, here you go. Here's one across the jaw. I'm Chakotay. I'm Chakotay Wayne. Um, Neelix and the Doctor both feel helpless about Kess's condition because they both want to nail her. Yeah, by the way, 
what else could the doctor mean? Yeah, right? I mean, literally, what else? He only knows, like, five people. When Neelix is like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I'm so lost right now. And the doctor's like, me too. you and me both, buddy. I also, well, I mean, you know about me rubbing them feet. <laughs> For some reason, Neelix doesn't turn around and go, fuck are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> this is my two-year-old girlfriend. Like, what? The, who the fuck are you? There should have been a Mr. Met <laughs> gentle head lift up as Neelix realizes that his paranoia about Tom Paris was misplaced. the last two years was completely misplaced. <laughs> I mean, no, don't get me wrong. He wanted to nail her, too. But yeah. he just, he wasn't going to make the real move on her. Exactly. She is a, like a, just a smoking hot two-year-old elf. So, you know. <laughs> Hey, she's got to be turning three soon, right? I assume. I don't. I can't really tell how time is passing in Voyager. We in the third season now. The fact that they never left that part of space made it very hard for me to tell what was happening in terms of time. <laughs> um, also, they spent six weeks during that episode when Chicote uh, was building a bathtub. So, oh yeah, that's right. There were time. There were like three time jump episodes in a row, actually. Oh no, I it was have, like six weeks out and six weeks back. It was yeah, a long time. I actually have no idea what time frame we're talking about now. Yeah. Um, Picard's dead by now. <laughs> Why'd you say that? In universe, as far as I know. <laughs> it's not that long after TNG. I mean, how long after was that whole B4 business? That that was after she was already back. That was after Janeway was back, right? Isn't she an admiral in that? Oh, God, that makes no sense, but yes. Yeah, that's like that's how long it took for all that. Just all the movie nonsense. So, like, they happened. made her an admiral because she got that ship. I don't know. I've never seen the end, but I assume because she got that ship back. But like, <clears throat> yeah, she doesn't have a she doesn't have a good she doesn't have a good billet, right? I cannot believe she does. Look, she has made an admiral obviously because she fucking deleted all of her logs as soon as they got back <laughs> to the Alpha Quadrant. Because I would like, do, hey, uh, we got another email from Admiral. I don't know who do you think's in charge. Let's just say. Paris. Uh, let's just say Nora Sati. Okay. Hey, got another email from from Nora Sati. She wants to know why you authorized shore leave on Ikani. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to go over so well. Um, uh, just to finish up characterization, uh, Neelix does his best to uh, talk Janeway out of killing herself on that dumb force field in the end. Uh, it was a two for me. <sighs> Ben uh, was a three. He says uh, Janeway's stoic as hell, I guess. Okay. I gave it a three also. I guess Janeway learns a nice lesson about being smart and rational, huh? That's right. She won't ever do that again. And Neelix gives flowery speeches about appreciating everything Janeway's done for Cass rather than uh, picking her up and running at that shrine headlong himself like, uh, yeah, I know, right? like Neelix would. Yeah, Neelix probably could actually be convinced into believing this shit. He should have been the one to go yeah. down there. Uh, the only thing about this episode that rings true for me and the reason I gave it as many as three points is uh, I liked Chakotay being an old mother hen in sickbay when, Janeway, when they were getting Janeway's telemetry. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, so I gave it a three. Do you have quick hitters? Some, 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 some. Uh, these guys got time for all kinds of errands again, huh? Yeah, again, for one second in, I was sending you a message complaining yeah. about what was happening. I know that um, when you have a holodeck on your ship, it's probably not exciting 
when you reach a new planet to just like go to the beach. Right. But um maybe just go to the beach. Where are these nerds doing a monastery tour? Yeah, I don't know. Hey, we hey, good news guys, we got shore leave. Do they have any like catacombs? Because that's what I'm into this week. I would like to walk around some dank ass caves for hours if I could. Hey, hey, Harry, let's do a double date. You and me and uh, Neelix and Cass, and we'll go to the catacombs. We'll go to the catacombs. If I had my druthers, a real good catacomb is what I would yeah. find on this planet. Yeah. What's um? What's the deal with Chakotay's mom? Was she like more mainstream Federation than his dad, and that's why she told him about the science of the Vision Quest? Yeah, you know the dad was not happy about that, but, like, he didn't have a choice. Don Alejandro, he was not happy. No. If, um... If Janeway's fooled by this play with the old people... This is real time, of course. She is the dumbest person ever to captain a ship. (laughs) I'm furious that they do a suspenseful end to credits when they say they've been waiting there instead of just cutting to Janeway saying, I get it. (laughs) Yeah. That's cool. Thank you. I see what's happening here. Uh-huh. I'm going to knock on the door twice and I'm not going to talk to you guys anymore. One of these old dudes looks like the Vogon captain from the old Hitchhiker's Guide. He's got one of those things where his nose goes directly into his forehead. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like it's just one tr- one delta wing design <laughs> entirely from the tip of his long nose directly into his forehead. Sure. A very unstable design, but uh, great maneuverability. That's right. If you lose computer control, you're in real trouble. But it is, it is, uh, yeah. And uh, someone in this, I didn't write down who said an hallucination, and I was not into it. (laughs) I used up all my click hitters. (laughs) You burned them? I don't have any more. Just complaining about them taking shore leave, talking about Tam Elburn and Janeway's naked back. That's all I could come up with. I I gave the uh, best actor to uh, Yoda. Mm. She had the easy role here because she just had to say enigmatic things and tell Janeway she was an idiot, and Janeway was being an idiot, but still. I've definitely seen that lady and stuff, but I didn't look her up. Yeah. And I give the worst actor to Schmollis because I thought he was giving subtle clues that he wasn't real. Mm. Which is not, I think, good acting. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> it isn't. All right. We got through it. You know, I, I was going to say I was so disappointed when you said it was time for Voyager because I'm so used to knocking that one out first. And I just <laughs> assumed in my head that we'd already done it. <laughs> so when it was coming up next, I went, oh, son of a bitch. Well, uh, you'll love this then. Third place last week was Enterprise. Okay. okay. This week we watched Regeneration. can reach any star hey way up in the arctic sir oh go ahead i'm sorry i waited too long i was just gonna say i have decided to like that song oh you're gonna bake potato on this one the way that janeway decided to (laughs) believe in that force field or whatever because she didn't have a choice i don't have a choice i've decided i love that song we didn't award a lot of points to voyager this week you're gonna have to hear it one more time at least okay I forget how big Enterprise's lead over Voyager was before this week, but it's trouble. Yeah, it seems insurmountable, honestly. At this point, yeah. Hey, somewhere in the Arctic Circle, a three-man team is examining some wreckage, and they uncover a, for- a frozen uh, Borg drone. They don't know what it is, but it's we know. it's one of those first-contact Borgs. Mm-hmm. 
So they set up a camp and they start investigating them and discover that these guys, uh, they have a couple of them and they're from different species and the technology is very advanced. They've got these nanites in them and they're starting to regenerate. For some reason, the team leader in this, the horror movie part of the show decides not to refreeze them because he's afraid of damaging them further. And uh, sure enough, they uh, they wake up and they stab everybody full of nanites and then they steal a ship and take off. They ain't nanites, they're um, nanoprobes. Nanoprobes, nanoprobes, yeah. sorry. They're identical to nanites in every way. <laughs> every possible imaginable way. Except that they, they don't have sentience unless... Uh, ben posits a very interesting theory here. That the uh, the Borg race might actually be the nanobots. Yeah, like what if they house the intelligence? Correct. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, smash cut to Enterprise. Archer and his team are looking over the briefing data at that great big Microsoft Surface in the back. Mm-hmm. Uh, the transport that was stolen uh, has been modified so that it's now doing warp 3.9 and it left uh, left Earth and it's heading basically towards Enterprise. So they're going to intercept and try to recover this team, I guess. And they only got like one fucking ship. That's pretty lucky. It is incredibly lucky that it's headed right <laughs> at Enterprise and also isn't Enterprise hundreds of light years from Earth. So far, very far away. The farthest humans have ever been from Earth. Yep. Uh, Reed and Phlox talk about these cybernetic implants, and Phlox tells Reed about the binars. Mm, great. They're trying to scan this arm and figure out what the weapons are. Um, you know, when Kinteros brings the binars on board, they seem pretty exotic, but I guess the nope. Nobulans know about them. Nah, it's fine. Everything was discovered in the 2100s. Okay, yeah. Um, Archer gets a distress call from a Tarkalian freighter. Okay. I know about Tarkalian oh. T. Right. So that must well, be we're going to meet some of these old boys. Cool. All right. Nothing on TNG is sacred. All right. Let's keep moving. Yeah. Uh, it's being attacked by this transport. They don't get there in time to uh, prevent the transport from, from leaving with the most of the crew, but they do manage to pull two infected people off of it. So Phlox gets his, you know, gets a firsthand look at what's going on with this process. Hmm. And uh, something about this whole thing makes Archer uh, go back to his quarters and look up an old speech of Zephram Cochran. Sure. And uh, T-Pole shows up to talk about it. And uh, it turns out that Zephram Cochran got mad drunk and told uh, a graduating class from Princeton all about the events of First Contact. That seems like Twitter would would have some issues with that. That would be a Twitter event. Yeah, but uh, ter- good good news. Everyone just assumed he was being crazy and drunk. Mm-hmm. But now Archer's wondering if these are cybernetic machines from the future that came back to take over Earth and that they were defeated by humans from the future, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, he's all in on the temporal cold war, so he's like, this is nothing to him. Yeah, yeah. You would think that what he would do then would go break into Daniel's sealed quarters. <laughs> read about and- it. Read about it in temporal Wikipedia that Daniel's left behind. Was that one of the books he found on the library, or did he just read about Romulans? He, I, I think he just saw the R- Romulans, and I think maybe he heard about the Federation. Okay, right. Yeah, I'm just saying it would not. I would not put a person to be like, "What's a Borg?" Right. Well, no one has said the word Borg, and I guess Ephraim Cochran didn't say the word Borg. Right. 
So, anyway, it doesn't matter. Archer doesn't think of it. Like, that's just got to be it, right? He doesn't think to do it. Yeah. Well, um, the writers didn't the, think to, so yes. The Tarkalians in sickbay uh, regain consciousness, and they attack, and they run off into the corridors, but not before one of them shoots flocks all full of probes. Yeah. So, uh, Reed takes a security team in after him. Archer doesn't know what to do with flocks, and he gives him kind of a lame, call the bridge if you need anything. Hang in there, buddy. Like, you're definitely going to turn into one of these monsters. You're going to be a um, robot soon, but I don't have the heart to lock you up in a cage or whatever, so. Yeah. Just have fun. Just leaves flocks sort of wrestling with it. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, Trip and Archer plan an attack they're going to make on this transport, which, by the way, has now been modified so that it makes warp 4.8. Yeah. Um, the security team comes across the Tarkalians in the corridor, one of the service corridors, and they start shooting at them with phasers, and that's when they discover the Borg's neat trick, mm. that they can make shields. They can adapt to the phasers. Right. Um, so, you know, what can you do? Archer... Uh, Blows a hatch and spaces them. Yeah. Not Reed and the security team, unfortunately. No, that would have been Just cool way. the two Tarkelians. But they've been doing stuff in that corridor, so it's all messed up in there. Yeah. Trip spends the rest of the episode there, basically. He gets to hang out with the green lights. Yeah, so he gets to see what he would look like if he was lit up all green. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, Hoshi has a scene with flocks, etc. She's like, you Archer- took care of me so many times. I'm going to take care of you with this phase pistol? Yeah, basically. Reed made her wear a phase pistol. I mean, I would be pretty unhappy about this conversation. I'd be like, you came here to shoot me in the head. This is why you got that gun, though. (laughs) You can't tell me you're going to take care of me. I know what that means. Hey, you're strapped. I I can't help but notice that you're (laughs) totally strapped. Yeah, yeah. I'm just here feeding my bats or whatever. Like, can you just chill? Archer and and T-Pole discuss what to do when they catch the transport. Mm. He... He's determined he's going to bring those people on board back, no matter what state they're in. And she says, blow it up. Yeah. Because she's a Vulcan, and that's the Vulcan way. Well, I mean, he did just... I mean, it is. He did just space some motherfuckers, so... Yeah. Uh, Phlox calls Archer down. He's worked out a pretty heroic treatment that he thinks can kill these uh, nanoprobes. Won't be great for him, and he's not sure it works, so he gives him a special Phlox poison. In case it doesn't. (laughs) By the way, I don't think Archer gave that back. No, he still got it. He kept that for future. We never see him give that back to Phlox. He's probably still got it. (laughs) One time, off camera, Phlox goes up to me and goes, so you're going to return that uh, Phlox poison to me? And he goes, I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, I made it so it would kill me in seconds. What do you mean, though? I don't know. I probably wouldn't even know what was happening. I honestly, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't remember any poison. So you never gave me any poison. I don't. uh, You've been working too. You've been working too many hours. Why don't you take it easy? Uh, Reed tries to figure out a way to get past the Borg shields. The only thing he can think of is more power, so he starts juicing up the phasers. Mm. Enterprise catches up, but the transport activates a signal that disables the ship somehow. Like, it activates whatever the junk was that the Tarkelians put in there. Yeah, they put it in, disrupted their plasma array or plasma flow, or I don't know what it did. Right. So now Enterprise is getting all shot up and... Uh, Reed and Archer are going to beam over to the ship. Uh, this isn't another action episode, is it? It's an action episode. Oh. So they start, Team Die Hard starts making their way for the ship's EPS manifold. That's what they were going to shoot from the outside. So yeah. apparently that's the only plan they have. 
so they start killing these drones along the way, and Archer is scanning the dead ones, and at some point he's like, well, these guys aren't human anymore. Yep. Um, and that Borg's board the ship too, but it doesn't matter. They, uh, they plant a bomb on the EPS manifold just as the Borg shields adapt to Reed's phasers, and then they beam off again and blow it on up. And that disables the transport, and when the ship's weapons come back up on Enterprise, Archer orders it to be destroyed, and they do that. They do. Meanwhile, Phlox is recovering from his radiation, and he tells Archer and T-Pole that as he was getting into that tube, he felt like he was connected to a group consciousness and that they were trying to send a subspace message, and he gives them a bunch of numbers. <clears throat> and T-Pole looks it up, and they're trying to send a message to the Delta Quadrant, and it'll take 200 years to reach it. So these Borgs are their own grandparents or something. Yeah, great. Matt, what's this episode about? This episode infuriated me so much that I didn't give it a ton of thought. I went with the very surface. Watch out for technology. It's gonna run amok. I even kind of believe that and it's a who cares. <laughs> I mean, it was another action episode. It wasn't saying much of anything. The only thing I could connect at all was the flock that flocks and read conversation about the cybernetic beings they'd encountered and how reed was worried about these guys but flocks was all on board because he'd met the binars or something but then goes south for flocks in particular real quick so um that was a three for me let's see uh ben gives it a two and apparently the take for him is how would proto starfleet fight proto borg that's not much of a take <laughs> yeah he says it's he guesses it's sci-fi, but it's not a question anybody asks. No. Uh here's what I have. Space <clears throat> is dangerous and you can't save everyone. Right. So the only non-action thing that's happening in here is Archer's determination to recover the crews of these hijacked ships. Mm. He wants to get the humans and the Tarkelians, right? And discovering and coming to terms with the fact that they're beyond salvation and he's gonna have to kill them, that's not a strong take. Right. But the only reason I give it as much as three points, which is what I gave it. I'm sorry, what did you give it? Three. Three? The only reason I gave it as much as three points is because Archer has had a particularly lucky run. Yeah. No Enterprise crew member has died. That's actually insane. Right. Given the amount of things that have been shot at them. Given his interventionism Mm -hmm. and... Not only that, but he's had a pretty good run of, like, playing both sides against the middle. Mm-hmm. So, it's not going to be... Shouldn't If he was a real person and not a very flat, badly drawn character, right. it might be tough for him to come to terms with the fact that he can't save these people. Like, he's used to pulling off some shit. Yeah. But these also so weren't why his crew. Worth as many as three. They weren't his crew. Yeah. And he got a taste of this last week with Charles, right? Charles is dead. Charles is dead. In case you're wondering. Um, and I gave it as many as five in execution. Oh, hey. So, it's, this is a dumb action episode. Yeah. However, it's competently shot. The action mostly works. Okay. Like, the cuts are fast. Uh... Nothing crazy over the top happens. It sucks eggs that they decided to make a sequel to First Contact. 
Yeah. And it's inexplicable that this whole thing, this whole incident wasn't like wide cast to every Starfleet captain once the encounter in Q-Who happened. Yes. Like, they must have a lot of data on the nanoprobes that Phlox recovered. You'd think. His his method for reversing assimilation, et cetera, et cetera. You would think. Like, it's, uh, it's buck wild that no one... in Encounter at Farpoint, they're like, we have a few theories about how to defeat these guys. Or, no, sorry, in Best of Both Worlds. Yeah. And not like, yeah, hey, uh, we looked it up. This has happened. We know these guys. These guys have been on Earth. Yeah. Yeah. No, they don't know who they are, dude. They straight don't yeah. know who they are. Because so, Enterprise is just... Okay. Again, that sucks. But having said that, I expected to hate this episode a lot more than I ended up hating it. Uh, that's true. I felt the same way. But I yeah. didn't necessarily score it very well. Yeah. Well, what did you give it for execution? Uh, it was a three for me. Um, this episode exists to what? Neuter TNG? <laughs> like, it makes it... It makes it look like the only reason the Borg are after Earth at all is... Okay, so there's this incident. Some temporal paradox stuff happening because these guys came to Earth in a fight with Picard and they only tried the time travel strategy after their first shot at Earth went tits up in best of both worlds. Yep. So, like, we'll never know what started it all? Oh, incidentally, not 100% clear that time travel was even their plan A for the second attack. Oh, it wasn't their plan A, but they had it. It was ready. Yeah, that's why they had that sphere that could shoot out of the hole. Yeah, that's right. They had this. They had the sphere that shot out of the hole and made a time thingy happen. It all of a sudden became um, because oh uh, shit, what was the? Come on, what was the name of that game? The board game where you shot the orange uh, at the castle. Yeah, weapons and I'm, warriors or something. That sounds right. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, it was very clear watching the TNG that they had never heard of the Borg and that Q's intervention is what sets off this whole chain of events. But, like, who the fuck knows? Yeah. Because these guys are sending messages that are so scary. And in, two, in exactly 200 years, they'll get the message or whatever. It's, uh... So about Q's intervention. Yeah. Even in that episode, we know that the Borg are what did the neutral zone. Uh, well, yes, it is strongly implied that it is the Borg yeah. that did that. So they've been they've been kicking around. Yeah. But no one yeah. knows anything about them. At all. Yes. Uh, anyway, Enterprise loves saying, we actually met these guys first. And it's, They did it with acquisition, for sure. It's getting super annoying. Oh, and the, we've already the Romulans, right? Yep. We've already had the very complicated, how they never see the Romulans, just so that... They can keep up that It can be a surprise that... when Spock sees the Romulan. Yeah. Shouldn't... Shouldn't the infected Tarkalian crew and the threat they represented have been enough of a ticking clock? Like, what was the point of having Phlox get infected, too? Like, now the viewers are really gonna care. Like, Phlox ain't gonna die. Yeah. Uh, pure action and suspense episode. I didn't think there was much messaging at all or character work. The Borg are interesting. So this episode was interesting. Despite what a bunch of biting bullshit it was. So that's the only reason it earned as many as three points. I also thought the the episode itself was fine to watch. Yeah, it's one of those where... Eh, whatever. There was That's not the only one this week where I scored it lower than I enjoyed watching it. What, uh, what did Ben have for this execution? 
Zero. Uh, he really likes uh, the Enterprise dealing with Earth problems. It makes sense for Enterprise to be much more Earth-centric. Right. Like, there's no Federation yet, so if something big is up on Earth, they care about it. Right. Uh, he liked some of the uh, special effects, I guess. Okay. He liked the issue of Archer trying to save the people, etc., he says the vessel's mass has increased by 3%. Where did they get the mass from? That's a good point. It's mm-hmm. a good point that no one thought about. There's another one that I have somewhere in here. Um, he says, okay, the shitty parts have taken over the episode by the end. So the humans clearly knew that an invasion was coming from where and by the Borg. Yeah. There was some evidence that Cochrane wasn't a crazy loon, and we'd seen these guys already. He says, homies. Earth knows that there's an invasion coming for 200 years, and no one knows about it then, and no one remembers or preps for it during that time. Nope, Dumb. and in fact, no one remembers any of this stuff about the Arctic Circle or wherever these guys are, even during the events of First Contact. They yep. aren't able to look in their computer and figure out any of this stuff. and be like, Oh, they've only had five or six encounters with the Borg by then. Why would they have tied it all together? It's so... It's so is, in the last episode of Enterprise, is there a big fire at the record storage <laughs> warehouse? I can only assume. Ugh, maybe so. He uh, he gave it a negative ten for world building. <laughs> That's tough. It is tough. It's very tough. Uh, he says obvious huge problems with rewriting history like this undermines everything for TNG. Doesn't like that they reference the binars. Yep. Oh, they, this episode they were just like, what's what's been in TNG? Let's talk about it. This is where he. Uh, this is where he says that in TNG, it seemed like a mechanical process to assimilate, like it was focused on the individuals, but mm-hmm. now it's these nanoprobes, and he wonders if that means the Borg race is the nanoprobes. If so, that's a big retcon. Yeah, the nanoprobes start to become important in Voyager, just as an FYI. Ah, That okay. becomes sort of a main discussion about the Borg. So this is the first time we're seeing this, but this yes. is not some dumb shit that Enterprise made Enterprise up, didn't, uh, didn't uh, shift the focus. It was Voyager yeah. that did it. Uh, so negative 10, obviously this was not his pick of the week. <laughs> no. Uh, uh, where are you on world building? Let's see. Oh, hey, they met the Borg first as well. Arctic Circle. Okay, fine. Sending info, uh, on, uh, okay, so these, these guys on, in the Arctic Circle send, uh, the info they find out about the alien species direct to Starfleet, because obviously they got that database full of information. They're the ones out there meeting aliens. So when they, they figure out that these two drones are two different species, they're like, that's how they have to figure out what species they might be. Yep. Uh, Denobulans are known to have experience with nanotechnology. I assume the same can be said about current humans. You um, would think so, yes. <laughs> The particular Earth transport, or the particular Tarkalian transport the Borg is using to escape normally only goes to warp 1.4. Uh, the Binars, who are altered at birth. What the Borg collective is able to do with primitive technology. But unfortunately, <laughs> I hated what they did just so much. What they did was bad and wrong, and they shouldn't have done it, and it's a one. Okay. Yeah, um, all right, here's what I've got. Polar bears made it to the 22nd century. All right, so it doesn't look good for them right now, but like... If right now that looks bleak, but I guess we turned it around. We have to get through one more nuclear war, but I guess at some point we're going to turn it around. <laughs> That's gonna Maybe re- nuclear winter will help things out. That's what I was going to say. It's going to re-winterize this place, and those polar bears are going to thrive. 
the binars are known to flocks. Yeah. There's no reason that couldn't be the case. Okay. They don't if, seem like they're an important race, even in TNG. No, but definitely everyone in TNG is like, I don't know anything about these dudes. Well. I mean, it's the first I time mean, Riker's ever encountered them. <laughs> Sorry. The binars seem perfect for this, even though this is the first time that I've ever come in contact with them. <laughs> I love how he fucking trails off. He knows it's dumb. He knows he's dumb. <laughs> Oh God! I started this sentence and now I gotta finish it. Oh, uh, he's gonna he's gonna remember this later, and I'm gonna remember that he remembers it in the middle of the night. I'm gonna go. Oh boy. Um, the subspace message that the Borg sent, yeah, is gonna take two hundred years to reach them. Mm. So this is gonna be a problem for the twenty fourth century. That's a hack line for sure. Oh, for sure. Um, here's my problem with it. Does that mean the, the subspace messages travel three times slower than Voyager? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess so. Voyager's going to take 70 years to get back from the Delta Quadrant. Now, they haven't hit the Borg yet. A couple years in. I guess it's not really clear how fast things travel at subspace. they got to fly through the Borg. For some reason, I always assumed it was the speed of light, but that was not based on anything. I guess subspace well, would, would have to be faster. That wouldn't work. Yeah, it would have to be faster. So I don't know how fast it goes, but I guess. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's because maybe subspace radio is slower in the 2200s. Like, oh, because they. I know they have to put in a bunch of relays to talk to Earth and shit, and they're not that far away. So maybe it is just slower, and it's because they they were only able to modify that transport so much or right. something. Yeah, maybe. But. Um, Anyway, Voyager's got to fly through Borg space to get back to Earth, and uh, they're they're only seventy Voyager years away. Right. So whatever. I gave it a two. Okay. Uh, how did you feel about the characterization? Before this round of rewatching, if I had seen this episode, I would have said that uh, T. Paul's bloodthirstiness was out of character for a Vulcan, but uh, turns out that's not true. No, they're they're kind of rough. Yeah, and like I said earlier, aside from the thing with Charles last week, Archer's mostly been getting away with shit. So I guess it's reasonable that it'd be tough for him to kill these captured people. Yeah, I would have liked to know what Flox was going through a little more, <laughs> rather than being left there. Just. A- a couple of shots of him being kind of uh, depressed in sick bay. Hmm. But I guess they didn't really have room for that in this dumb action show. Right. On the whole, I thought the characterization was actually fine. I gave it five. I agreed. I gave it five points. Uh, Archer makes a tough call to blow these dark aliens out into space and then to blow up the transport. Hoshi wants to look after flocks. Uh, T-Pool advocates for the destruction of the uh, modified transport. Flox wonders at the cybernetic nature of the Borg until he is actually infected when he tells Archer he'd rather die than become one of them. Yeah. So I guess he learned a lesson of sorts. Um, yeah, it was, I thought, yeah, characterization was not the problem with this episode. Also, not that much was done, but it was fine. Uh, Ben gave it a three. He says he liked that Flox put the ship's safety first. He says he notices that Picard doesn't uh, give an order to execute his previous orders. Like, he doesn't do a fire or an engage or something like that. Mm. Um, do you have quick hitters? I guess so. I'll say what I said about the Ferengi on Voyager last time out. 
How can your viewership possibly grow to exceed that of TNG if TNG has to be fully absorbed before you can watch these other shows? Like, your max audience starts at those who watched TNG and drops from there. Because mm. ain't nobody sticking around if they don't know what the fuck's happening. Yeah, I mean, by this time in the run of Enterprise, I think they would have been happy to just get the TNG oh, audience. Yeah, they never got anywhere near it. But I'm just saying, like, yeah. what is even your hope? Like, what are you even going for? It does show a lack of ambition. I just think it's a bad strategy. Like, meet some new aliens, bro. Go, go find some new shit. Um... The Borgs seem loud and clumsy, but they're actually really great at sneaking up on fools. Yeah. Like you mentioned in the horror movie part of this episode. Dude just turns around and there's a Borg there. Not a, None of that <laughs> walking around that they do in TNG. They're very noisy in TNG, but TNG treats us to more atmospheric noise than I think the other shows do. Ah, uh, okay. Like Riker walking down the uh, ramp? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Reed says that the Borg shields were um, so impressive that they might as well have been firing holographic bullets, which is a weird thing to say for people with so little experience with sophisticated holographic technology. It's a super weird thing to say for someone who didn't see the movie First Contact and know that Picard kills someone with holographic bullets. (laughs) That's right. He just turns the safety off. Boom. Done. Yeah. It's almost like it's a dumb reference. Yeah. Um, That's all I had. I uh, I got a couple. It seems like in this show, uh, assimilation moves at the speed of plot. Yes. Like, um, we don't know how long it takes them to assimilate Picard in Best of Both Worlds. There's a big time cut before they see him as Locutus. That's true. Uh, we do see some scenes of them actually doing it, and it is yeah. like Ben It's out. a big surgical procedure. Yeah, much more mechanical. They like, gotta yeah. replace his dang old arm. They like drain his blood or something. They do. They did. Then they pump them full of five W thirty, right? <laughs> right. Um. But I think in first contact, we see a guy get knocked knocked down by the Borg, and then like an hour later, he is a Borg. So yeah, it's already not consistent. But in this show, it's pretty slow. Yeah. The process of being assimilated by the nanoprobes, even of losing consciousness. Did they give a hand wave that I wasn't paying attention to about the Tarkalians or Flocks having like uh, immune? response that's better or something he they as soon as they get them on board he pumps them full of some retrovirus designed to fight the probes so he genetically engineers a virus instantaneously to do this job yeah it'd be great if in the 24th century they had his notes on this whole thing huh (laughs) crusher could have used those i think or like if denobulans existed yeah if they existed at all i wonder what happens to them they go the way of uh, not the polar bears i guess no, polar bears make it. Polar bears make it. Denobulans not so much. It's it's wild considering that they already practice uh, polyamory. You'd think it'd be easy for them to re- repopulate. Yeah. And they got in uh, on the ground floor of this federation. What's the deal? Yeah. Um, I will be pretty mad if the solution to Borg adapting shields is just more power in the phasers. Now, in the end, it turned out not to be. They adapted to the more powerful ones, too. Yeah, because we've been told a million times you got to change all your frequencies up, and then that yeah, even exactly. doesn't work eventually. Uh, even in this episode, all of the Enterprise crew survive. Yeah. Even though the Borg board the ship. Yeah. He does better than Picard. Picard loses people all over the place to the Borg. Yeah. 
I gave best actor to Phlox and worst actor to pick your Arctic scientist. Yeah, they weren't very good. It's true. They did not do good work. No. No. You got some quick hitters? I think it's you. Oh, God. All right. I didn't already do them. Let me see. I already did them. I don't know. I did them. You did them? I did them. Good. (laughs) Super good. Then we're done with that. Yeah. Second place last week was the original series. Okay. This week we watched A Private Little War. The Enterprise is visiting a planet that Kirk did a cultural study on as a lieutenant some time ago. Mm. Uh, and which he uh, really fell in love with. Yeah, he like um, had a roommate and all that. Yeah, he had a good buddy down there named Tyree. And uh, the planet was very tranqu- tranquil and peaceful. It was they when he bows left. And arrows, bows and arrows for hunting, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, they're back. And they're here to... Uh, I guess... They have finally followed up on something he wrote in his report, which is there's a lot of plant life here that could have medical uses. And now McCoy is here to um, look at a bunch of colored powders. He did have a whole box full of colored powders. They were all different colors. That's science. But while they're down there, they hear a shout and see some villagers preparing an ambush with flintlock rifles. Which everyone... And that don't make no sense. Recognizes on sight. They all say flintlocks like they all did a course on the history of gun design. Mm-hmm. They, it turns out they know a lot about it. They anyway. do. Both sides. Everyone in this episode does. Anyway, that's not possible. But <laughs> even worse, Kirk sees that his old friend Tyree is about to walk into this ambush. Oh, man. Why did they go to the same village? They got a specific order not to phaser anybody down here. So Kirk's going to throw a rock at him. Uh that distracts them long enough that they don't kill Tyree, but Spock does get shot right through where the heart ought to be. Yeah, it's got its green blood all it's over. Like, it's a pretty good shot from that distance. With a flintlock? With lock? that gun. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty good shot. Uh, so they run away for a minute, and then they beam right up, and McCoy starts working on Spock in the transporter room, but just then the ship goes to red alert, there is a Klingon vessel coming in. It doesn't spot Enterprise, because I think they're not as good in this show. It seems like they are often are able to hide from the Klingons. The consensus seems to be that the Enterprise could blow up a Klingon ship if it needed to. Yeah. But, it, you know, the Organians or well, whatever. if they were supposed to be the Russians or whatever, they were probably being like, they're not as good as us, but they're twice as evil. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. So Enterprise goes around to the other side of the planet to hide. And now Kirk's like, now this makes sense. It's the Klingons who who are giving these villagers 15th century Earth weapons. <laughs> yes, that makes perfect sense. That's what's going on. <laughs> uh, and all of his bridge officers, like literally everybody fucking pipes up at this point and but goes, they what? they just made them. And, Sc- and Scotty's like, I mean, it's the first gun you'd make, though, would be a flintlock. I mean, it's like, if they've just discovered guns, that would be number one. It'd be gun number one that they would make they do right all, there. They do all act like a bunch of assholes, though. Because, like, Kirk was there, what, ten years ago? Maybe? Yes. They didn't have no guns. They had literally zero of guns. It would be hard to believe they all had guns now. Not only did they not have guns, they didn't have the concept of war. <laughs> right. It seems like it's a long way to go in that amount of time. Yeah. 
But yeah, you're right. Uh, Uhura, Chekhov, and Scotty are just all are like, well, I don't know though. Uh, I don't think that's um, I don't think that's it. You never know. So, so anyway, uh, luckily uh, for this week and this week only, McCoy can be spared to go back down to the planet because it turns out there's another doctor on board, Doctor Mbenga, mm. and he also interned in a Vulcan ward, so he's pretty much the expert on Spock. Yeah, so maybe he should be more involved in things. Yeah, future. ought to be. This Think is the only non-human on board. Shit happens to Spock all the time. Yeah, he's always involved, and he's the only non-human, so you might yeah. need this guy's expertise. So, um, Kirk and McCoy get all dressed up like uh, Indian Braves, and they head on down to the planet. Oh, but we didn't talk about this. Tyrese people are the hill people. Yes, they are. And whereas the... The Flintlock uh, people. The Flintlock people are dressed like the sp- Spanish... Uh, settlers of California. Yeah, there's stuff going what, on. They've got like uh, sandals and rough pants and tunics and stuff like that. They basically they're the extras in Zorro. <laughs> right. Uh, the hill people are blonde Indians. Yeah, they like we should make them Indians, but like I don't know, let's make them alien. How would we do that? Make them blonde. Yeah, get them as get bl- eyes as blue as possible, that, please. That's right. Uh, so, uh, Kirk and McCoy get all, get all gussied up like a no, Halloween contest, costume contest before, before people had come to the idea that maybe we shouldn't do that. They, they ask ship stores to prepare it for them. So either ship stores just knew what to do or was really quick or had them on hand or something. Yeah. Uh, and they, uh, head on down to the planet now. Here's what you got to know about this plan. Well, first of all, Scotty tells him, hey, I might not be around if you need to beam up. I got to stay out of the way of these Klingons, right? Mm-hmm. We'll arrange a meeting. Okay. Hours would seem like days. You're right, exactly. If we went by the uh, book. Right. Here's what you got to know about this planet. They got a weird kind of ape <laughs> He's called so the cool. Mugatu. He's so cool. He's so, can you describe him? Yeah, sure. He's white. He's got spines on his back like a fucking stegosaur. Yeah. He's got kind of a lizard tail. All right. Uh, he's got a venomous bite. Yeah, he's, it's not even just that he's big and strong. He's got venom, too. He's fucking poisonous, just like uh, just like our, our gorillas are. I think nature did a mistake. I think it messed yeah. up. <laughs> nature did too many things. It's a giant ape, but it's got fucking venom, and it's got stegosaur spines. So anyway, it immediately attacks them when they beam down, and it gets a good old bite of Kirk. Yeah. Uh, he gets McCoy vaporizes poison. it. Phasers are scarier in TOS. Were they using Phaser 2 or... He had Phaser 1, oh and he eliminated the Mugatu. Yeah, he did. Uh, but Kirk is in a bad way. Luckily, as he loses consciousness, Kirk tells McCoy that uh, some of Tyree's people know how to cure the Mugatu bite. Mm-hmm. And, luckily, some fucking hill people go by yeah. right at that moment. So they take him to this cave. Now... Uh, Tyree has become the leader of the Hill People. Well, he knew and her. he has married himself a Kanutu woman. Would you be surprised? And they're the local witch doctors. Would you be surprised if Kirk left him in charge? If Kirk manipulated events so that Tyree was in charge? And then he said, yeah, now this planet unsur- will be just fine. Unsurprising entirely that Tyree has found his way to a position of leadership here. <laughs> yes, the Kanutu woman. Uh, she's a real witchy woman. Right. Yeah. So we get to meet these two. Because his wife is using a plant, Tyree's wife is using a plant to make him all horny. Yeah. Just real horny. Because she wants these guns. She likes guns. And she is going to seduce him into doing something 
basically to do wrong for her. Well, I mean, he did sing it in a song that he would do it. So. He would even do wrong for her. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also means that uh, Tyree is kind of out of it when the Hill people show up and they're like, hey, Kirk is hurt. Yeah, your old buddy. So she gets to make her entrance on her own and she sees McCoy using a phaser to heat up some rocks. Way to go, McCoy. McCoy, uh, I guess once he realized that his enterprise medicine couldn't do anything for Kirk, he really went the opposite direction. What if I just made these rocks real hot? Maybe he'll sweat it out. (laughs) That's right. So she sees this fucking phaser and she goes back to Tyree and she says, what's the deal with these guys? You have to tell me or I won't be able to heal him. Right. So uh, Tyree tells her. Um, this wife's name is Nona. And now she uses uh, some kind of dancing ginger root and her own blood. And she passes her blood and Kirk's blood back and forth through this ginger root. That dancing root looked like rubber poop. <laughs> it did. <laughs> the kind you would play a prank, a super sick prank on somebody with. <laughs> And um, once she's done that for about 15 seconds, Kirk is awake. He's very sleepy, but both the wound on Kirk and the wound that she cut into her own palm to get blood are gone. The roots all shriveled up. Uh, she makes a claim that uh, Kirk is hers now. I'm sorry, I need to, I need to stop you. She, you said after 15 seconds. Was it three seconds? I swear in my mind this scene took over five minutes. <laughs> The scene where oh, there's lady, a lot of fucking around before she puts the thing on him. The scene where Lady cured cured Kirk and was putting the fake poo on her on him and like chanting and making weird noises and and, and in the background her. the music was going, Whoa. yeah, <laughs> exactly. I was so aggravated by the scene; it was sonically very difficult. It yeah, was I guess it might have been more than fifteen seconds. Tyree's problem. back there banging on a big drum. Yeah, I hated everything about it, and it seemed to go on for entirely too long. I had to find my notes, which is why I didn't stop you immediately because I was like, "I swear to God, this is the scene we're talking about." <laughs> All right, sorry. <laughs> uh, so Tyree explains that when a man and a woman are joined in this manner, mm. you know, when they pass blood back and forth through a root, yeah, he can refuse her no wish. But, he tells McCoy, it's just a legend. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The guy who has just been shown to not be able to refuse her. Yeah, well, they didn't do this blood root thing. He, she just scratched him with a plant, and then he got real horny. I'm just saying. Also, she talked about the last time they did real horny times. Yeah, that, okay, that's and how true. It did, she did break they brought the out horniness. the beast in him, etc., yeah. etc. Et so she, you know, she might have been medium horny before she scratched him with that plant to start with. That's true. She knows what she's doing. It doesn't seem like they got a lot to do on that planet. He might be like, yeah, I guess now's the time we fuck. Seems like mostly what those people are doing are getting shot. (laughs) It does seem to be the case. (sighs) And when Kirk wakes up, he does seem at least a little bit taken by her. Whatever. Just a hint of what's to come. Well, she's buxom and uh, (laughs) blue-eyed. She's... She's dressed super crazy. So she Wearing has some low-rise like, flared jeans or whatever. <laughs> she's got she's got low-rise jeans with an incredible flare right like a capri that then uh bell like a capri bell bottom right. basically. She's barefoot the whole fucking episode. Mm-hmm. Uh she's got what lo- what looks like a black bra and then but with like bad fake orange fur over it. Yep. 
And uh, she's wearing. Like, she has some... jet black hair on like all these blonde Indians, and she's got crazy nail polish, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, right? She's a she's, witchy woman. She's a witchy woman, one hundred percent. I'm sure she has a gem or something in her belly button because you're not allowed to show your belly button. <laughs> right. Um. Yeah. So he's into it. Um. But also he's really happy to see Tyree, etc. And uh, he wants to go see these weapons being made. Because if they're being made by the villagers and it's not a Klingon thing, Tyree's just going to die. Right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> then I can't save you, my friend. But if the Klingons are doing it, he and McCoy, they're going to fix it. Right. Um, Nona butts in. She wants the sky weapons. She knows all about Kirk. She wants the good, good shit. You're right. He doesn't want it. Tyree sends her away. Tyree is and very, they, very, very against violence. Yeah. He, he don't is want the anti-violence. He don't want the guns. Sure. He don't want to shoot nobody. None of that. They head out to the village. They knock out a guard. They look at the forge. And what do you know? The tools and the raw materials and shit, not local. Yeah. This shit is coming from the Klingons. And here is a Klingon. He doesn't get a name. No. He is teaching uh, Appella, the leader of this village, uh, how to make better flintlocks, what the next set of improvements is going to be, and so on. Right. Tells him he's going to be a governor in the Klingon Empire, just in case anyone's listening and wants to know what the whole plan is. <laughs> right, exactly. At this and point, now I know we've talked about this a million times, but I'm going to go over the whole plan again. At this point, McCoy runs a Pulaski-level stealth scan, and his scanner makes a big beeping noise <laughs> and gives the game away. And they just they just escape from the village into the night. Um, I don't know. I don't know when I want to introduce the B plot. Maybe at the end. Okay, go for it. So they uh, they get one of these flintlocks when they escape, and Kirk is teaching the men how to shoot, and Tyree is not excited about this. He hates guns. And McCoy comes over and says what's your plan? Like, what are we doing? And Kirk says, well, I'm going to give them all flintlocks. Yeah, that way it's even. Even Steve. My plan, I'm going to restore the status quo by giving flintlocks to the hill people, just like we did in the Cold War, just like in Vietnam. The brush wars. By the way, the brush wars on the Asian continent. Mm -hmm. By the way, that was totally right and the only thing that anyone could have done. (laughs) Yep. So, uh, the Klingons fuck off and Enterprise returns to orbit. Uh, Kirk goes to get Nona to help convince Tyree to fight. It doesn't seem what his pl- like his plan is very good there, but she drugs him up with that seduction plant. Yeah, and uh, Tyree sees him, even raises that rifle, but he just won't shoot. He just won't do it. But here's another Mugatu. I know they all over the place. It's probably the mate of the first one. It's the mate of the first one. Yeah. And Kirk shakes himself out of his utter horniness and vaporizes it. Yeah, to, to save at which that point, lady. At which point she bashes him over the head with a rock and takes his phaser. She's going to bring it to Appella yeah. to give the village people true power since her husband is just such a pussy. He did prove himself to be lacking Gromba, to be fair. Yeah. Um, But this hunting party that she runs across, they're just going to rape her. Real good. They're just going to take turns raping her. Yeah. That's their whole plan. Yeah. And... Uh, when McCoy and the others show up, they stab her to death. Hey, do and these other villagers have women? 
It's unclear if there are village women. They do seem to like the hill women better they, because they we overheard a, a dispute. Appella had to settle a dispute over who got one that was captured that day, yeah. and the Klingon gave him the good advice, give it to the man who killed the most hill people. And then they see this lady, and they're like, yeah, ladies. We're not going to let Appella decide what to do about this. It's just go time. It's, it's just time for some serious raping. So, uh... They fight the village people off, and now Kirk has to stop Tyree from killing. And Kirk and Tyree wants the guns now. Yeah. And Kirk calls up and asks Scotty how long it would take to make a hundred serpents for the Garden of Eden. <laughs> and they fucking beam up. He asks for the guns first, and Scotty, I think, pretends not to understand. Either that or he's the one person on the ship who doesn't know what a flintlock is. And no, he, he did earlier. <laughs> okay, so he pretends not to understand, and then uh, Kirk says that he needs him to burn and verify 50 of these dragons. That's right. A <laughs> hundred serpents for the Garden of Eden. Yeah. Matthew, what was this episode about? Oh, sorry, there's a B-plot. Oh, yeah. Spock is has gone into a some kind of special Vulcan coma. Mm. And They're concentrating he is all conscious. their energy. And he can hear everything that's happening around him. So he knows that Christine Chappell's holding his hand and she's got a thing for him, which he already knew. That her boobs are twitchy for him. That's a thing. <laughs> and uh, Mabenga's going to go eat dinner or something. But he tells uh, Christine Chappell, listen, when he wakes up from that coma, A, call me. B, do whatever he says. Yeah. And when Spock wakes up, what he says is, hit me. Yeah. And so eventually she starts hitting him and Scotty busts in and he's like, what are you doing? Woman. And then what are you doing? Woman. woman? I, you I doing, hate woman? women. One hit me on the head one time. <laughs> I, I may be, I'm still not clear. Was I Jack the Ripper? <laughs> uh, and then Mabenga rushes in and slaps him around some more. And then Spock's just fine. That's the B plot of the episode. Yeah. This, well, yes. What was this about? It's very unimportant. Um, all right. Here's what I got. Can you do what, what is morally wrong in the short term for a greater outcome in the long term? The question's fine. It's like which morality wins out? The morality of non-interference? Because McCoy is not with Kirk all the way on these plans to give guns away. Kirk has he to convince is, him. McCoy is his usual um, equivocating self yeah. where... I don't know what's right. This, there's a point where he tells them, if it is the Klingons, we can do something about it. Yeah. And, but then at the end, when Kirk uh, wants to do the thing that it seems pretty clear McCoy knew he was going to do, he's like, what are you doing? You can't just give them guns. Anyway, um, which morality wins out? The morality of non-interference or the one that, where you prevent the extinction of a people? Because they're going to get killed. They ain't got no guns. Um, so, you know, is morality absolute? Does it allow for flexibility? It's pretty broad, but I thought that is actually a question, so I gave it a six. That's like a, a real thing. Okay. Um, Ben gives it a two. Okay, you're on a different thing. He says, justification of proxy wars and mutually assured destructions of uh, policies of the USSR and the and USA in the 60s. I it's do back believe... to getting a preachy feel, but it doesn't feel Star Trek at all. I do believe they were trying to do that. Yes, they were trying to be like, what we did in Vietnam is, you know, that's no, okay. No. What we're doing right now in Vietnam. You're right. This is 1968? Yep. Yeah. Um, I agree. I think that that was what this episode was. 
despicable as it may be, a proxy war may be the only safe war to fight. It's not at all a Star Trek take. No. It's not science fiction-like to come to the defense of the government's official stance on an issue. Sort of seems like you don't need TV for that. You don't. It's not one of the scientific... It's not one of the sci-fi... Not one of the areas where sci-fi excels, let's say. No. Like, uh, I don't like it any more than the mock executions in Enterprise during the post-9-11 <laughs> yeah, where it is days, like, right? Put them in the airlock. It's over for you. I'm Jack Bauer now. Uh, that's basically right. This is the this is a 24 level. Tell me who you work for. <laughs> so I only gave it two. Okay, so you and Ben were on the same page on this one. Pretty much, yeah. I agree that I think that was what they were doing with the episode. But you were able to peel something else out of it. Yeah, I found a different premise. Yeah, I feel like the... doing something in the short term. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. What is uh, which morality is more important? Always doing what is morally correct, even if it means bad things down the road or whatever. I mean, this is symbiosis, right? Mm. That's the one um... where Picard doesn't give them the medicine. Oh, right. Yes. Yes. Where he has to choose his uh, King Solomon. His King Solomon's wisdom. Yeah, he's going to cut the baby in half. Yeah. Uh, ben gives it a three for execution. Okay. He says it's unusual to have both Spock and Kirk out of action at once. Uh, it's kind of straight down the middle for TOS, bad costumes, and barely distinguishable aliens. Well, they had they had bejeweled foreheads. That's true. Spock's life and death B-plot isn't anything, so he's a three on this. And once again, we agree. Uh, I gave it three also. Okay. The B-plot accomplishes nothing. That is true. It, it could be cut without harming anything. Like, you don't need one minute of the B-plot. Because Spock could be giving Kirk all the same bad advice yeah, down there. Yeah, but think of how long all these witchy woman scenes would have been. <laughs> if that extra... <laughs> if, where was that extra time going to go? It was going to go to her and her if ceremonies. the episode was ten minutes longer? Yeah, it would have been much more of her. Or the rape scene would have been eight minutes longer or something. It would have been rough. Also, uh, I know that this is... Uh, that we're talking about the 1960s, but even in Star Trek, I'm getting a little sick of conniving, sensual women seducing noble men. Yeah, I know. Like, there's one thing that TOS doesn't do well. It's um, like I get it, guys. Anything but to do with women. It's another very bad portrayal of women. Yeah. Like I and I get they mentioned the Garden of Eden like 50 times in this one, so I get that she's. You know, this, this, the snake is coming first to Eve and she's going to... Whatever, right? Yeah. Here's another thing I don't understand. I don't understand the Klingon plan. They're going to teach these village people... I understand what they their, their large plan, but I don't understand the specifics of it. They're going to teach these villagers to make these guns, right? They're trying to make this look like it's normal. But they're going to supply all the gear so anyone with a tricorder can instantly tell it's bullshit. Yeah, it doesn't seem super well thought out. Like, oh, oh, these gun barrels look like they were made by this level of technology, <laughs> but they really weren't. Well, what? then why not just have them make them? It's like the dumb treaty that they're talking about. Is this the Organian Treaty again? There's, they're still handcuffed by the Organian Treaty, it's so they like, can't actually fight each other. Maybe this treaty says something like, you can't give arms, but this is their dumb they way to get around They can give all of it. the components and the drill bits and shit. <laughs> yeah, like this is, their, this is their way of getting around it and they don't actually care who knows. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Like, well, we didn't give them nothing. What do you want? So yeah, I'm a three for execution. Maybe you liked it a little better. You were certainly better on take. I did not like it better. <clears throat> 
So even though I I got where my take was, I, I got where that was coming from. There's so much other shit getting in the way in this episode. So Kirk has a personal stake in this conflict because his buddy is one of the doomed villagers. Yeah. So we can't expect him to weigh the moral decision making correctly. Right. There's a crazy shaman woman who casts spells on people and is trying to like be on the powerful winning side. There are Federation issues involving the Klingon Empire. Damn Mugatu's all over the fucking place, just fucking biting people and chopping down on them. And then, of course, there's the fact that this episode is like, Vietnam War, though. Not so bad. What were you supposed to do? If you think about it. Um, I mean, Kirk says the only way to get through this was what was done back then. Mm-hmm. To arm both sides equally, which is not what happened in the Vietnam War. Yeah. So all this stuff gets in the way of any examination of uh, moralizing or relativizing or anything like that. And the answer in the end is Kirk is sad. (laughs) Is that the ending of the episode? Is that Kirk is sad? Yeah. (coughs) A hundred serpents for the Garden of Eden. Great. Well, so it's a two for me. Uh, let's see. <clears throat> I mean, already said it's a, a three on execution for Ben. He gave it a four on world building. Yes. Uh, prime directive, I assume he means there. Yeah. And progenitors, uh, maybe based on treaty with the Klingons so as not to start proxy wars, which doesn't seem to be working that well. It is possible. However, the Organian Treaty is a year old and... Kirk recommended this non-interference 10 years ago, too. So, yeah. like, it's he gave the orders that these people be isolated. Yep. Um, I got some world building. Yes. Uh, that ape with the dinosaur spines. Um, <laughs> I, I have this in my quick hitters, but I really want to be that for Halloween next year. The Mugatu? I want to be the Mugatu so bad. That's probably a costume you can buy. I want to be that so bad. Um, Does it have a unicorn horn also? He's got some stuff on his head. I didn't know if it was more spinage okay. or what it was. Um, uh, people of this planet are all peaceful and tranquil, or all or, or are they? Um, use of phasers among primitive peoples is strictly forbidden, or at least in this case. Spock's green-ass blood. I think McCoy asked for a Budweiser when Spock came up to the ship engine. <laughs> I didn't go back to verify, but that's what it sounded like. Uh, Kirk says research is not the Klingon way. Yeah, he's a racist. Yeah, he's it. a racist because I wonder how they built all that stuff then. How they build those ships and everything. Yeah, so exactly. It feels like some research probably went into this. Um, the Klingons got their hands on some flintlock muskets somehow. This is like the one area where Enterprise has is has done good work. Mm. Is that one episode where? Archer talks to that guy and he says, this can't possibly be how your society works. And the guy's like, yeah, we're in a rough patch like, right now. No, I'm ripped torn. <laughs> <laughs> society used to be better when my mom was a doctor or whatever. Um, <laughs> d- let's see. Does ship stores keep native costumes on hand somehow? Or did Kirk order them to make them on the quick? It's not clear. Do they just keep some buckskin around and then... Cause they- I don't know how much time passed between when he gave the order, but he asked ship stores to dress him, and then they were down on that planet. Um, that Kanutu woman who does all the magic spells or whatever. Vulcans have weird super healing powers that can concentrate their energy and attention on healing. 
All that Mako root shit. <laughs> the brush wars. Uh, it was a three for me. There's stuff in there. Uh, yeah, I agree. I also gave it three. So Vulcan physiology is different. Like Spock's heart is where his liver should be. Mm-hmm. They use something called a sterilite during surgical procedures. Just looks like an orange light bulb, but I guess it does some good. Different cultures have different rates of development. That's one of the points that's brought up on the bridge when Kirk immediately deduces that the Klingons have interfered. Now, you'd think that would be true, but they do treat every single society they run into as if it is an exact clone of Earth in yeah. how they develop. Well, that's so-and-so's law of parallel Earths. <laughs> uh, Vietnam War will eventually be considered one of the brush wars on the Asian continent. Right. It's, it's fine. Were they not? I guess. I guess... I guess that's a fine way to describe them. <laughs> I don't care. Yeah, that's right. That's the right way to say it. But I, but I, I do like the idea that it would have, it will have been recast as part of an, another war, like the way we have the Hundred Years' War or something like that, right? Which was really a whole series of conflicts. Right. But, uh, it's just an interesting look at it. I, I gave it three. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, I gave characterization a three too. Okay. So. Kirk hates that he's going to have to arm his friends and end their innocence, but he won't spend even five minutes thinking of another plan. Like, you know, maybe we, maybe we take those guns and we blockade the planet. Yeah. Like just prevent the Klingons from coming back. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But you know, then he'd be risking the space war or whatever. Yeah. I'm not sure at any point what side McCoy was arguing for. Chapel still loves Spock, and everyone on the ship knows it. Yeah. Even Mabenga knows it, and this is his first day on the job. <laughs> is it? I kind of felt like I'd seen that guy around. I'm not sure. I think he's in it one later episode. Okay. When they throw, when they have a character of the week who is doing the job of another character, it is often a person of color. Yeah. Which, I guess, like, I don't know. Maybe the network wouldn't let them have two black actors. So when Gene Roddenberry had a guest part, he put one in when he could. It, I, I believe that his uh, non-racist beliefs were sincere, it, which is why it's so wild that he has such a blind spot for misogyny. I know, yeah. Yeah. Um, also, in that, uh, uh, that ambush book that we read, it turned out he was a huge racist as well. Well, that too. <laughs> but again, that was an ambush book. <laughs> <laughs> he was one of those you know benign racists yeah right yeah exactly <clears throat> uh where are you on characterization here i have it as a four um kirk was pretty willing to kill to save his old buddy tyree i mean yeah. he grabs that phaser and he's like i'm gonna kill all these motherfuckers McCoy's like, hey, uh, or Spock or whoever is like, hey, uh, no phasers. uh, You know the rules. Yeah, no No phasers. Right. Uh, Willing to arm the villagers to even the balance of power on this planet. Um, Great, more nurse chapel pining after Spock. McCoy believes that killing is stupid and useless. Spock likes getting slapped around. Scotty still doesn't trust women. No. To me, it was all on the poor side of average. Yeah. There were not good character moments particularly in here. Yeah. 
did um, uh, Ben is a, as much as a six though. That's uh, a lot. Since they he likes that they let Spock take a musket ball through the chest and keep going. Although, um, yeah, he says that it would be big and it could take out a bear. So even if it didn't hit his heart, it would do a lot of damage. Well, he had to use all of his weird healing powers and then get slapped around a bunch. I guess he liked um, what he describes as Nurse Chapel's BDSM moment with Spock. Okay, good. We were on the same page with that. Because he okay. kept yelling at her to hit him more. Yeah. And then as soon as Mabenga starts hitting him, he's like, no, I'm not into it anymore. That's right. Uh, and for quick hitters, uh, Ben says uh, he did not like that little sex right the uh, shamanist did. No. And that the Indians had far out wigs. And that the flintlock at the end didn't have any flint in it. <laughs> cool. Yeah, whatever. Uh, what are your quick hitters? Uh, more of that uh, beautiful California scenery. Um, Starfleet's bright uniforms really stood out in that place. Yeah. They were easy fucking targets. I'm not surprised Spock got got, got on that place. Uh, even with no red shirts down there. Yeah. Uh, Scotty, Uhura, and Chekhov all argue that maybe they came up with flintlocks on their own, but we already talked about it. Not in ten years, or whatever. Yeah. Um, I already said I wanted to be that guy for Halloween. Oh, the the witchy woman called this guy huge, and it made me yearn for the carefree sexuality of the Edo people. <laughs> no kidding. Because she came up to him and she's like, oh, you're so huge and angry, or whatever, and I was like, oh, no. And I love you as huge one. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> so bad. Uh, again, I was angry at how long the scene was with the lady curing Kirk. Um, gotta say this wild Kirk acting when he's put under a spell by this woman is some of the finest Shatnerizing I've seen in a while. <laughs> when he is uh, getting the horny but- Stuff, Better or worse than when Monster Kirk is going to do an R on Yeoman Rand in his quarters. Nothing's as good. That's like, that's the prime shit. I wasn't going to say anything. You're yeah. the captain, after all. That's... Animal Kirk? Well, he needs that part of him to be a good captain. You need to be a little yeah. rapey. Uh, that's all I had. McCoy's standard medical kit includes colored sand for making uh, mandalas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, it seems like Kirk really subscribes to the noble savage philosophy, huh? Yeah. Like, I would have loved it if Tyrese said, oh no, we have lots of wars. I don't I don't know what. Kill each other like, all uh, the time. I, I mean, I don't have the heart to tell him a lot of us are jerks. <laughs> how did, and I, I think you have answered this question, how did dumb, bland Tyree become a leader at all? Yes. He doesn't seem to have it in him. If the word milk toast didn't exist, <laughs> we would have to invent it for Tyree. He's like some kind of like toast, but even plain toast is he's like some kind of milk toast. Like <laughs> soggy. Uh, yeah, then I said, yikes, that's the take. The Vietnam War was the only thing that could have been done. Yeah. Not I mean, it's just the opposite of Star Trek whose decision real question for you matt mm. whose decision do you think it was to make all of the indians blonde and the hill people look like i guess turks <laughs> with their mustaches and curly hair like that's my read on those guys right turks something like that uh you know who's was it gene himself it's gene. you think it's gene 
it's so fucking hack. Like, can uh, the hill people are the good guys, right? Let's make them blonde. That's right. And the other guys? I don't uh, know. Gene, you've got them dressed like Plains Indians. No, blonde. Blonde guys. And the other guys make them some kind of Mediterranean. I don't give a fuck. I gave Best Actor to Confused Scotty because I really felt like he was just daring Kirk to say it again. <laughs> That's right. He's like He pulled out a little recorder out of his pocket. Yeah. And I, I didn't catch that. What? Worst actor to Christine Chapel, who cannot act against unconscious Spock. But, you know, fucking Gene. So. <laughs> she was fucking Gene. There you go. <laughs> hey, we've gotten to the um, regular part of this episode now where we do the DS9 one last because they've had some yeah. some wins in a row. They've been kind of killing it. Uh, this week we watched The House of Quark. The House of Quark. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it starts off in Quark's bar. That's disappointing always, but, um... Quark's so depressed that business is slow because everyone's all scared of the Dominion. And no one wants to, like, come to Quark's. Maybe they're even leaving the station. Keiko talks about it later. Yeah. And he doesn't know what he's going to do. Quark is mad at Cisco about it, Yeah, he starts... You think Cisco bungled this whole fucking thing? He's mad at Cisco, and at first I thought he was going to say he was mad at him for blackmailing him into staying in the first place. (laughs) But he's forgotten about that. He's just mad at him for making everyone afraid of the Dominion. For fear-mongering or whatever. Um, So, while he's complaining about uh, how slow business is, there's just one drunk Klingon left in the bar... And um, when he says that he doesn't have any more money and wants to open a line of credit, Quark goes to confront him and pisses the Klingon off, who's hella drunk, and stands up and tries to kill Quark. But, whoops, pulls a Dave Severin and falls on a knife. (laughs) (laughs) That's an inside joke. Kills him, though. Kills him. Kills him this time. Doesn't just take an eye. Um, So, uh, uh, the... Okay, so Quark decides to take advantage of this um, because people seem super excited about the big murder that happened. Yeah, Everyone lines up look to at, see the murder. For the only time ever in Star Trek, Bashir does the examination in situ instead of taking the guy directly to the infirmary. For once, he doesn't ruin the evidence. Maybe they really wanted to put Quark away this time. So people show up to look over that weird window where Quark can, I guess, give people... Uh, like a take-home cup of booze. <laughs> yes, that's that's, your, that's the travel window for sure. Yeah, so we can get a traveler. Yeah, everyone so wants to come getting... to see the murder. It's so exciting. They ain't never seen a murder before. And he decides he's going to take advantage of this to make the restaurant booming again. Because he's going to take credit for killing this Klingon. And he's going to tell a lot of stories about how cool he was when he killed that Klingon. And everyone's going to come and drink and have a good time. And um, I guess because it's self-defense, no one cares. Odo don't care. No one cares that he murdered a guy. (laughs) And that he's loudly telling everyone about how he murdered him. But then, uh, a Klingon shows up and confronts Quark uh, in the hallway and is like, Hey, you killed my brother. 
And Quark's like, nah, I, uh, it was an accident. I was just saying I killed him because it's it sounds cooler. But he really, it was a whoopsie and he fell on a knife. And the guy's like, nope. Um, if it went down that way, that's bad news. That would be dishonorable. But if, you know, if dude died in honorable combat, like, that'd be a-okay with me. So maybe keep telling people you killed him. So uh, they come to an understanding that that dude takes off. <clears throat> Uh, Quark is, uh, alone in the bar counting his, uh, great profits. Uh, when a Klingon lady comes in and she's like, hey, that guy you killed, that was my husband. His name was Ko- Kozak? Kozak. Kozak was my husband. You killed him. And Quark's like, oh, I'm so sorry about that. And she's like, yeah, well, now I gotta, I gotta kill you or something. So defend yourself. Um, and Quark dives over the bar like a coward and tries to cover himself behind a, a serving tray. And the lady's like, okay, so obviously you didn't kill him, so what the fuck happened? Um, Quark uh, tells the truth. There was a whoopsie. Um, and then she, uh, what, she knocks him out? Takes him back to Kronos? Yeah, she kidnaps him. She does a kidnap. She straight kidnaps him all the way back to the Klingon homeworld because she needs him because it turns out uh, that other guy, the first guy that uh, ran into Quark in the corridor, he's actually from a rival house, and he's trying to uh, take all of their shit, take over their house and all their assets and everything. And she needs to be like, <clears throat> this is the guy who killed my husband. Um, he's allowed to marry me or whatever. And um, he'll be the new head of the house and keep all of our shit. So she's intimidating Quark into going along with this plan. Well, she straight tricks him into marrying her. He just has to repeat words. He doesn't know what they mean. Mm-hmm. Because for some reason, his universal translator doesn't work. It only works when it's intended to by the plot. As with, right. Same as the Starfleet issue. It's apparently the same technology. Yeah, the Ferengi ones work the same. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, after they are mated, he is now um, the head of the household, I guess, technically. Uh, Gowron's in this one. Yeah, he is. I just want to point that out. Um, this is like the worst day of Garon's week, right? <laughs> he has to deal with all shit. this shit. Yeah. So, uh, okay, so it turns out the guy... Um, Degore. Degore, thank you. He, uh, he he still wants their shit. This, ain't, this thing ain't going away. And um, he, he is going to challenge that this lady's allowed to run her house but she's like nah i married this dude though so now we're good to go um but the house is in bad shape yeah so it turns out quark is able to discover that this fucker has been uh, going after their finances for years just like uh, he's the main creditor on all their uh, debts and um this is dishonorable behavior among the uh, the Klingons, and if Quark could prove this shit in front of Gowron, if he could, like, make him look at the Excel spreadsheet and t- teach him how to, like, how to pivot tables work and stuff like that. Right, exactly. Like, if he can make this work, then they could prove that this guy's just being as dishonorable as a Ferengi or whatever, and then... Um, I don't know. Maybe they'd get his house. I don't know what her plan is on that part. Just to make him it's go not clear away. What happens to his house in this? He might have an heir. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard. To, oh, that's right. Yeah. So the problem is the reason Kozak she, had no heir. Yeah, the reason she had to do this because they didn't have a they didn't have a boy in the house. Unclear whether they have a girl or not. If so, she is not mentioned. She is not mentioned in the episode. Uh, anyway, 
So they, Quark's trying to take him through with the spreadsheets. And boy, I miss the days of like General Chang. And like, <laughs> remember when Klingons were smart? Even like the TOS I was, ones. I was fucking thinking about this. I was like, was Chancellor Gorkon a real outlier? <laughs> yeah, like what happened? The era was different though, because even the TOS Klingons mm-hmm. are Gorkong and, and uh, Azetbur and Chang mm-hmm. and shit. And it's like, oh, those guys could read. They were, they were well read in Earth literature. Right. And uh, these guys are just like holding the pads up to their face and like smelling them and just going like, I don't, what is it? What are numbers? tells them to open another folder labeled financial whatever, and Garon's like, enough! He like, throws it to the ground. Uh, <laughs> anyway, he's like, is this true? Is that super dishonorable? And the guy's like, nah, he's a liar. I'm going to challenge him to fight to the death or whatever. Um, Quark obviously ain't going to fight this dude to the death. Oh, he's like... oh, and oh Also, here's Rom yeah, to prove he's a liar. He's also to prove he's a liar and that he didn't I actually... also did a kidnap, yeah. I guess. <laughs> I, I countered her kidnap with one of my own. This Ferengi will prove that uh, he didn't even kill that guy in honorable combat in the first place. He's, uh, this was all some kind of weird lie or whatever. And yeah, now Garon's just got a headache. He's like, two Ferengi? I'm not even dealing with this. This is bullshit. Um... I just had to deal with this K-less nonsense not that long ago, and now I got this going on. To make matters worse, there's two Ferengis. Um, so Quark and Rom try to escape, but uh, Grilka won't let him. Or she encounter, or she uh, uh, she confronts him, and then she says, "Shame on you." Yeah, she gives him some guilt trip shit, and then um, Quark's like, "Well, what do I care? I'm just a businessman, and uh, fuck all these Klingons anyway." Uh, but then the next day in Chambers, she's like, "I don't know where he is." I guess my house got got. Uh, Quark shows up and he's got a bat left and he's ready to fight this Dagor dude to the death. But just as the fight starts, he throws down his bat left and he gives up and he says, uh, you're going to have to execute me. You won't get any uh, honor or glory here. You'll have to tell all your ancestors that you rose to power by killing an unarmed Ferengi half my size or whatever. And the guy's like, yeah, okay. I'm going to cut you up. And then uh, that's proof to Gowron who sometimes has honor, depending on what the plot needs. <laughs> He's like, hey, that's not cool. Uh, you're the dishonorable one. You're in for it now, Billy Boy. I think he calls him Billy Boy. And uh, <laughs> sure. And then uh, Groka and Quark get a amicable divorce. And uh, Quark goes home. Uh, B-plot. Keiko hates this place. Keiko hates DS9, she hates everything about it, and now her school's closing. Uh, yep, there's no fucking Bajorans left. It's just Jake and Nog. There were never any other aliens. <laughs> All the Bajorans have moved back to Bajor because they're scared of the Dominion, and moving a couple hours is definitely going to keep them safe. And, I mean, it uh, gives them a whole planet to hide on. And so they've left, and so they're closing the school. She'll just tutor Quark, and I mean, not Quark, um, Nog and Jake. But that's made her real upset. So O'Brien tries some nasty romance that was I was very unhappy to see. Um, then he tries to like get her an arboretum because he thinks that'll make her happy. But it's okay because he talks to Julian Bashir, who has so much uh, experience and success with women, and he tells him that you can't just distract her. You got to fix the underlying issue. So O'Brien. Um, I don't know, pull some strings and gets her uh, a job as a real professional botanist. I guess that's what she was doing on Enterprise, so she must be qualified. Unclear. I mean, wasn't she? Otherwise, why was she there? 
But she's not in Starfleet. Why? Why do they need? I don't know. Like, is, is she even? That's eh, fine. Whatever. Anyway, he gets it's her, unclear what she was doing. Gets her a job as a botanist, so now she'll be happy too. So everyone's happy. Oh, and also we won't see her for most of the season. Oh, was that the point of that? <laughs> yeah. So she, so they can explore the O'Brien Bashir friendship instead. Oh. Well, I am sick of seeing them fight. It's depressing. Yeah, they put her on a bus, but at least at least they thought of a reason to do it instead of just saying she's visiting Earth for her. <laughs> for the rest of the season. Because her <laughs> mom turned 100. Uh, hey, what was this one about? Um, all right, so following off of what you just said, if you're open to it, you can get good advice from unexpected people. Quark solves a Klingon problem with his Ferengi ways, and for some reason, Bashir gives good relationship advice. <laughs> cool. Uh, I thought there was also the possibility that there was something happening here about equal relationships. Hmm. Like, Groka's not going to be able to solve her problem with this dumb sham marriage. She needs Quark's financial acumen. Mm-hmm. But it's like, it doesn't really work because she did kidnap him. Right. Like there's no there's no equality They're in not this on relationship. Even right. And also it's not the Keiko and O'Brien story is not necessarily about an equal relationship. It's really about he has to he's trying to band-aid something right. that needs a real fix. Yeah, I admi- or for him to accept that he can't fix it. One of those two. I admire your attempt to link the two plots. Thank you. I did not bother. <laughs> uh, it's only worth uh, four points to me, though, because if that's the take, it's kind of a who cares take. Like, yeah. Just, hey, don't don't turn a blind eye at good advice just because it comes from an unlikely source, you know? Right. Uh, I also gave it a four for the A plot. Hold on, I'm just reading it now. Uh oh! Does it not make sense? I'm giving it a two. Oh no! <laughs> my a plot, my a plot take is everybody wants respect, even sneak thieves. <laughs> so that's nothing. <laughs> it's true though. Uh, my b plot was about how you can't distract someone from noticing their problems. You have to fix the underlying issue. But the a plot has to take the 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 premise on this one because um, no offense to the. K-Cone heads. That's what I decided to call Keiko fans. I the like K-Cone, it. The K-Cone heads. Um, that that part of the episode was not important. Uh, sort of a truism. Not much to delve into, really. So, yeah, two for me. Uh, ben gave it a three. What a tangled web we weave. The lies can get you into trouble. Yeah, I guess in his version, the B-plot is unconnected. Uh, execution. Okay, there simply haven't been enough incidents like this in Quark's past to really figure out why he's doing the things he's doing in this episode. Yeah. So rather than call it bad writing, I'm fine with accepting that this series of events, in and of themselves, have stirred something in Quark he didn't know was there finally being respected and having the opportunity to def- defend that feeling was enough to make him risk his well-being 
even though it wasn't super profitable. Yeah. Maybe just I, being around uh, aliens for so long weakened his resolve. I don't know. In just the last few episodes with Quark, we have seen the perception of Ferengi in the oh, among yeah. the other Alpha Quadrant races start to get under his skin. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's a, a an idea that this could connect to that as kind of personal growth. Like, how much of it is doing things to just change the perception and how much of it is, you know, are there any points that are valid about that? Right. Is he going to have to do any personal work as a result or is he going to have to just do advocacy work? So I think it's not, it's not completely like, why does Quark suddenly care about this? Because he's been accusing Cisco of racism for a couple of episodes now. And that's that's pretty, pretty well founded. And because Shimmerman's one of the best actors on the show. I didn't really mind this journey, even though I was very afraid of this episode. Yeah. Because I remembered it, and I knew it was a Quark episode where he he shacks up with a Klingon chick or whatever. Uh, I also like Klingon exploration in general. I like seeing my old friend Gowron. It was nice uh, to see Gowron. And the council chambers and all that. Klingon gender roles continue to flummox me, though. It is odd how come the women on the klingon ships they like fight with the dudes and 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 fuck with the dudes and everything but then like a lady can't lead a house like they they just can't rule the great houses seems seems like they got a lot of work to do i think they've got some growing up to do time's up chronos um i give this a seven in execution in execution (laughs) Okay. Uh, on the one hand, okay. this episode mostly works, and I expected it to totally not work. Yes. So that's kind of, that's a big plus, right? Right. Like, they didn't trip and fall on their dick here. I mean, honestly, they throw in that B-plot so that there's something other than just Quark. Because this is just Quark running this show. Yes. the And this is one of the main problems with the episode. The two halves of this are so unconnected that we cut back to Deep Space Nine several times while Quark and later Quark and Rom have both been kidnapped. <laughs> and no one on Deep Space Nine says, where's Quark? Who's running or, Quarks? Now Rom's missing too. Or, hey, uh, not only is Quark gone, there's like 50 bars of gold pressed latinum just sitting on the bar. I don't think he just walked away. <laughs> right. Odo oh, doesn't investigate the initial murder any further than asking Quark what happened. Yeah, he just looks at him a little bit. They set up this Quark on Kronos farce, and then the show is uninterested in following through on any of the logical conclusions of the setup work that they did. Like, yeah, it's not like we they come back to Deep Space Nine at the end, and Odo's like, uh, we got you know. Uh, we got you back from your little adventure or whatever or anything. Unfortunately, like, we had to donate your bars of latinum to right, the Bajoran exactly. War Fund or something, Bajoran Orphan uh, Fund or whatever. It's just like, we go back to Deep Space Nine, it, it doesn't know what it has occurred to no one that Quark has been kidnapped. You're right. I think I assumed there was an investigation going on, but not even one second of it is shown. No. No. Uh, when There's a scene when O'Brien is showing off his plans for an arboretum Uh 
I'm sure all the plants and trees are all wrong. I bet he goofed it. Right. Uh, to Bashir, Bashir trying to Bashir get him to say, Bashir was kind not that's to point a, that out. That's a, that's a good plan, and it's totally going to cheer Keiko up. Right. They are in the replimat. Not a quark. No one says, uh, uh, it's busy in here now that Quarks is closed, or where's Quark, or anything. <laughs> it's true. That's very bad and lazy. I agree now, yes. <laughs> I see I so, was wrong. Again, the plus side mostly works. The downside, it's like these these two things are from two different episodes and did not happen at the same time. Right. The only thing that connects them is that in both plots, they mentioned that uh, everyone is leaving Deep Space Nine because they're worried about the Dominion. So I only gave it four for execution. I would like to drop mine to a six because that's a very good point. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, Where's Ben? Oh, yeah. Ben is a five. He uh, he thinks there's a Revenge of the Nerd style brains versus brawn stuff going on here. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't think he did a real good job of forensic accounting. He didn't make it. He didn't make a good presentation for his audience. It's true. That is the main issue. He did not cater his presentation. He didn't target to it to wrong. the High Council at all. Yeah. If you're making them go to another folder to look up a piece of evidence. You have not done your presentation work for Six sure. of those dudes were holding their pads upside down. Like, this is not going to work. Not great. He should have been projecting something, for sure. <laughs> yeah, right? Do they not have a projector in the uh, council hall? they have a projector. Wheel a projector in. <laughs> Make one out of a communicator. That's right. This is Star Trek. That could be done. Uh, he said it's uh, pretty much a farce of an episode, but he liked going for the ride for most of it, and the totally unrelated B-plot was fine. Yeah. Uh... In terms of world build. Okay, well, I, I was just thinking about what we were talking about with how the Klingons used to be smart. And then the thing that Ben <laughs> said about the Revenge of the Nerd style brains over brawn type crap. Do you think the Klingons changed because our perception of the values of what is associated with the Klingons changed? Do you think the Klingons are dumb idiots because... Instead of to... being a chess match with the Soviet Union or whatever? I just... Maybe... I don't know if, the, because I guess I don't know whether the Klingons were thought of the same way in TOS, where they thought of as like, it doesn't seem like they ever talk about how honor is important or. No, but they are very scheming. Okay, so they're, they're the extremely opposite. scheming. Okay. Yeah. So that, never mind. It's unrelated. I was going to say. They're pretty Ferengi like, honestly, in <laughs> TOS. I was going to say maybe it's because um, what we think of those th- values has changed, but no, they had different values. I think the, they did the just Klingons have different were just values. Different. We didn't start talking about honor a lot till Worf. Yeah. Well, he read Klingon and, Wikipedia, so. Until they decided that, uh, I don't know, they were more samurai than anything. Like, it's not clear what they're ever supposed to be. No. Uh, you were going to do uh, world building. Yeah, not much. Um, I'm giving it a two for Klingon, all of the Klingon great house inheritance laws and oh. for traffic being down on DS9. But I you love, find it hard uh, to believe procedural stuff like uh, what happens in the case of uh, whatever I mean I guess but like there are about 12 of these great houses I don't think it's going to come up again right Okay. where are you Uh, whatever insult Mokdar is someone gets called a Mokdar Um, (laughs) yep the Dominion Fear I guess is the latest slow burn in the show Right. Everyone's worried about the next step in the Dominion War, so we can concentrate on some other stuff. Quark turns out to be correct that a straight murder happening at Quark's really does make people want to eat there. 
and drink it's a weird assumption to make but it turns out to be right i feel like my reaction would be the opposite of that but i'm not a fancy tv person the tv people the place where the bartender killed a guy in a fight let's definitely yeah i'll definitely go there and get drunk uh, the rules of honor and dishonor among Klingons gets a bit more nuance again. This time we hear that dying in a dumb knife accident would be lame and bring dishonor, but getting bested <laughs> in combat by Quark is totally cool. The House of Kozak. Uh, we learn a lot about how the families and houses work within the Empire. Um, the Brekta ritual. Yeah, by the way, not never clear to me why Dagor is running his own house. He must be the son of... Dagor's dad. So he's the son of whatever, according to Quark. No, no, he's Kozak's brother. Wait, is he really? He's really Kozak's brother. Then how does he have he's his own... He's just a shit. He's not a lie. He's not, his name is not spoken in that house anymore. How does he have his own house? That's yeah, weird, right? <laughs> how come Kozak's not like, I'm the elder brother, etc.? <laughs> I'm the elder brother, Kern. Because he lives in the Klingon Empire. He doesn't just read Wikipedia, right? Well, the Kerning was not very good in this episode either. So Yeah, it's true. <laughs> um... Uh, let's see. Uh, the Brekta ritual, which is a different kind of mating ceremony than what um, Worf and Kalar did. Yeah, it's. I guess it's kind of a Klingon shotgun wedding. Yeah. It needs an officiant, for one thing. The Klingons don't like bookkeeping. Uh, Plomig soup. How they survive. Plomig soup was ordered by Julian at the Replomat. And he wanted uh, some basil in it? Yep. Remember when Klingons were smart? I had that in there for some reason. Um, the Janitsa Mountains on Bajor. That's a three for me. They are unexplored. They do have a name. Yeah, no one's ever been there. No one's ever been there. Yeah. What is Bajor? How does it work? Think back to DS9. What is Bajor? <laughs> yeah, just three for me. Yeah, and uh, Ben's a two. Women can't lead a house except in extenuating circumstances. I think that's been, that's come up. Oh, although Lursa uh, and Bator, I guess they didn't have the extenuating circumstances. Well, so they just they take didn't. over the joint. Gowron would have given them a seat on the council. That The extenuating circumstances was that they were very powerful. Yeah, that's true. That the House of Duras was very powerful. Gowron is a schemer. He is, that's what I'm saying. Sometimes he's shown to be honorable, and sometimes he's shown to be something else. Yeah. Um, he says it seems like the council would have taken care of business sooner or later. So I guess in his mind, Quark is not really necessary for this, but that's fine. How, how, what did you score for characterization? Uh, let's see. Uh, the sex predator and terrorist Quark <laughs> is put out by his slow business day. Uh, yep. He blames Cisco not for blackmailing him to stay on the station in season one, but for scaring people with the Dominion. Let's see. He'll risk almost anything for profit, as is his people's stereotype. Um, turns out to be a decent schemer. Uh, he finds all that stuff the bad Klingon dude has done to Grilka's finances. He pulls a Chekhov and gives the Ferengi credit for the expression discretion is often the better part of valor. Um, Quark, son of Keldar, yep. risks his life to claim honor or claim a woman or claim something. I don't know what he was doing. Rom is still mostly nothing. He knows enough to be immediately suspicious of everything Quark says, but knows yeah. too little to avoid falling into his shit each and every time. They, it's maddening to me that they still haven't figured out what to do with Rom. Yeah, he didn't need to be in this episode, really. I know he's going to become a character, and so I just keep waiting for it to happen. I wonder when it really goes down. Yeah. 
I've um, seen him wearing those. I, I've I've seen him when I was over at Katie's house, and she's watching much later seasons of Deep Space Nine because she's already done with it. Frankly. Oh damn, she moved. She moved way uh, ahead. I've seen him in that green uniform fixing things on the station. She really powered through him. She did. Um. Well, she's not in a position where she can barely bring herself to watch one episode every two weeks because <laughs> she has to take notes and figure out what the writers were trying to say about an episode, if anything. It does really make me not. Want That's to watch the painful that part. Yes, the analysis is difficult. Uh, let's see. Rom briefly feels bad when Quark wants to skip out of his fight with the Klingon. No idea why, though. He, he looks all dejected, and then he then he starts getting into the, well, what do you care? You're a businessman. Um, Keiko's bummed out that she has no school anymore because, as we've previously seen, she hates this place and probably hates O'Brien, too. <laughs> Um, well, they only knew each other for like three weeks before they got married. It's not the greatest plan. Then I was hella grossed out by his I'm married to the most wonderful woman in the galaxy day. Whole thing made me oh, cringe. Yeah. They made sex looks at each other. Oh, and she implied that the sex was good. I know. I hate it so much. Why do they do I don't know this? why that's worse. Why do they do this? No, it's definitely worse. If she had seemed like hella annoyed the next day that would have been something she was like oh you, you got that wrist strength from racquetball so you blast me so right <laughs> no <laughs> k cone heads cover your ears <laughs> um he hates we've seen him in his underpants we know it's not his amazing body no he is hella dumb he's as frumpy as a person could be <laughs> On on TV? Yeah. Like, on TV, how do you get frumpier than that guy? That's pretty hard. Uh, he hates Julian so much, and he regrets asking about that Arboretum right away. Yeah, because Julian made him find something much harder to do. That's right. Wife problems, Chief? I felt like I had been punched in the stomach when Dax said that. Yeah, no shit. It was so... Dax just putting him on blast. Uncalled for. I might have hit her. And then Kira being like, so what? Tell me what's wrong. <laughs> crazy i don't understand social cues for some reason in this episode cisco is very helpful when o'brien comes to ask for a cargo bay though he also seems to know a shit ton about the cargo bays because he doesn't even pause when he offers up bay 21 because the odn lines are shot and the security system's broken (laughs) how long (laughs) have you been trying to pawn that thing off he's been reading the script that's the only explanation did he try to cut that whole cargo bay out of the station and throw it in the dumpster out back okay he hates that cargo bay okay theory corner okay this isn't the time for it. No, it's fine. And also, I just thought of this theory, and I haven't really worked it through in my mind. That's fine. Let's work it out. Cisco's having an affair with Keiko. Okay. And Bay 21 is where they've been meeting. Because <laughs> there's no That's why he knows cameras. the security doesn't work. And the ODI yeah. lines are shot because it's like, like a little cold in there or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, something about her spirited defense when those guys claimed that he'd been vaporized by that shit. Uh... And then he drank coffee in like, the he afternoon. He doesn't drink coffee. And they spent a lot of time together that we didn't see. Yeah. And he hasn't met that freighter captain yet. That's true. Cassidy Yates. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That could be. I'm not not into it. I'll have to think about it more. Yeah, like I said, just thought of it on the spot. But seriously, had he been trying to pawn that thing off on somebody? Why did he know so it much It doesn't make that? any sense that he's like, well, bait, bait 21, etc. Like, if, if this script was better written, Chief O'Brien should have said all of those things about yeah, bait 21. Yeah, I already did the and research. Then at the end, and then at the end, Cisco would be like, yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, whatever you need. 
Uh, Bashir actually had helpful advice, so my mind was kind of blown there. Yeah, because he's he's nothing. Um, it was a six for me. Uh, I like the continuing sense that Quark is unhappy with the Ferengi reputation. Okay. And I think that this episode shows that whatever you think about the Ferengi, the opposite code of conduct is equally dumb. Yeah. Right? The Klingons and the Ferengi are kind of opposites yeah, in this. Yeah, if you consider them polar opposites, the, the Klingon way to do it is not great. It's also very dumb. Yeah. I think Keiko and O'Brien both make a lot of sense here. Like... I think that this show about a real adult relationship mostly works. But they shouldn't enjoy the sex. That I didn't like so much. But the bad marriage advice should have come from Bashir, and the good marriage advice should have come from Sisko. You would think, because he's been married and stuff, and Bashir is... And Bashir doesn't believe... Dope. Bashir believes that it's fundamentally unfair for a Starfleet officer to get married. Yeah. and And that all marriages are doomed. Yeah, he's a dope. Yeah. Uh... And I don't understand the point of having Kira not understand that O'Brien wanted to talk to Cisco privately. So it's a little bit middle of the road for me overall. I only gave it four. How did he not hit Dax right in the head? Like, how did no he not shit. do it? I, w- I couldn't even... Wife problems, Chief? I would have fucking killed that lady. Yeah, fuck you too. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Uh, what did Ben do? Mm, give it a five. Ben is, yeah, Ben is as much as a five. For all his boorishness, O'Brien seems like a pretty good husband most of the time. Um, Also, it's not about profit, it's about respect. Who is this quark? It's a well-established racial trait that he puts profit ahead of respect. Um, It's probably part of his racial memory, if you think about it. I almost certainly, Um, So he thinks they're making quark a real person or developed character. So he's conflicted because it's out of character, but trying to do work. Um, you got some of them, them quick hitters. Sure. Uh, uh, Quark, son of Keldar. I thought was interesting. Quark never talks about his folks. No, we most certainly, we will eventually have to get just way too much of his mom. That's true. But we never hear about his dad much. Uh, when Gowron was fighting to become the leader of the Klingon Empire, was this what he had in mind? No, this is not. This is not what he thought being Chancellor of the High Council would mean. He thought it was just nothing but cool battles. At the end, when Rom is sitting in the bar with Quark, he says, I didn't have a chance to tell you how proud I am of you, brother. Did they take separate ships back? Or... <laughs> like, a lot of time must have passed between Quark getting spit on in the High Council and them getting back to Deep Space Nine. But this is like their first conversation, yeah. Yeah, mm, I don't know. Does anyone care that Groka did a kidnap? Uh, like, Quark I get that okay she's a it. Klingon prince now, right? But that was a criminal crime that she did. <laughs> Quark doesn't seem to care, so I don't think anyone else is pushing it. Also, Degore. I mean, I know he's been discommendated, yeah. so like, maybe you don't need to pile on, but like, yeah. Hey, Odo, two people got kidnapped <laughs> off the station. Does anyone care? How about anyone, any Ferengi authorities going to step in? No one? No one cares. Okay. Yeah. I gave Best Actor to House of Quirk Gowron or Exasperated Tumac. <laughs> and Worst Actor to Degore. I did not find him good. He wasn't great. Um, 
Give them to me. I'd like to think I'd be savvy enough to recognize that the liquid pouring out of a guy's knife wound to the chest was blood and therefore not <laughs> feel the need to stick my fingers all the way into it and then look at them in wonder and terror. But like I said earlier, I'm not a fancy TV person. It's true. Who knows how those people think? Right. Um, when the scene shifted to botanist Keiko looking sad in the quarters, I said out loud again to nobody, uh-oh. I don't want to watch them fight anymore, you know? It's just depressing. We get it. His relationship is in trouble. Yeah, I don't like watch. It's not fun for me to look at it. When the Klingon said Kapla to Quark, did Quark reply Gaziza? <laughs> I thought maybe he said Gaziza back to him. Uh, Grilka is uh, Natoth from Babylon 5. Oh, okay. Natoth uh, from Babylon 5. Also, that actress is a descendant of the Adams presidents, Fat Dandy 1 and Fat Dandy 2. <laughs> um, again, always glad to see uh, Gowron, whatever, O'Reilly, O'Reilly. What's his name? Robert O'Reilly. There you go. Uh, I actually laughed. Thought it was actually funny when Quark said Degore, son of whatever. Yes. Because that blew their minds in that in that room. Um, again, Gowron has honor sometimes. His character's hard to pin down. I think it's mostly for writing reasons, but I think by the end they're kind of doing it on purpose. Like, he's all over the place. Um, and no one really knows how he's going to react to anything. Uh, he doesn't count for characterization yet, but this is his first appearance. So the next time we see him, probably in TNG. Um, oh boy, can you do cross series? Same character. character. I guess we've done it with Q, haven't we? That's right, same character. So just, you know, let it go. It's so weird because the order's wrong. I know. Uh, I'd like to think that when Gowron yells, Yedrin! At the rest of the council in the end, what he means is, Mario Kart, I'm Baby Bowser, though. <laughs> he is Baby Bowser for sure. Because they all follow him. Something cool's going to happen. Uh, that's all I got. Well. Did we do it? We did the dang thing. Oh. I wasn't Let sure. Let me give you the rundown here. I wasn't sure we were going to make it through this one. In last place this week, no surprise, Voyager with Sacred Ground. <laughs> they scored all of 10 points. <clears throat> that's, uh,. It's not good, but it's not the worst because there was Twisted. Yeah, Twisted scored nine points. That is literally the only worst episode we've ever had. Voyager's so bad. Voyager is bad. Needless to say, they're stuck here at two wins out of our 48 weeks. Yep. Not a good ratio. In fourth place this week with uh, 26 points, Mm. TOS with a private little war. Not a great episode. Not a great episode. You had it four points higher than I did. Yeah, you had um, it pretty low. I had it low. In third place with 27 points, also not great, yeah. Enterprise with Regeneration. And this one you had three points higher than me. Enterprise is slotting into that third place position. Know, every week? Every week. Uh, that is a tribute to how far TOS has fallen more than anything. But they really, like, if you look at the averages, they're writing in third place, even though third place in the wins column is Deep Space Nine. Yeah, it's true. Uh, Second place this week with 29 points. Also not great. We're still below average. Uh, TNG with Evolution. Yeah. We were pretty much lockstep on this one. 
And that it was one point good. apart. It was yeah. just below average. So that left the uh, win this week to a very average yeah. 31 points is is the mean. Deep Space Nine, the House of Quark, it's 12th win. Congratulations to DS9. I know we've done, we do this all the time, but like, have we ever had a 31 be the winner? There was That's a 32 a good question. A DS9 episode crossover, one with 32 in week 42. It is 35. super rare. That was a 36. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just trying buddy. to let color be my guide <laughs> here. Know. 34, that's pretty bad. Yeah, the the Cardassians was a 33. Yeah. Ah, uh, boy, maybe not. This might be the worst week winner. Yeah, this might be the worst week winner. Okay. Well. Yeah, it is. It's um the week was down on average. Um we uh, the total the average total is 24.6. There have been worse weeks, but only four of them. Yeah. So this was our fifth worst week. Not a great start to what a I, we have often considered TNG's first uh, best season, so yeah. or one of their better seasons. Although I think it takes a little while to get going because I don't particularly like next week's episode either. But I could be wrong. Yeah, and let's uh, let's oh DS Nine with twelve wins now, so they have a quarter of all wins. Damn. Um, there, uh, the ranking is still TOS sixteen, TNG right behind them at fifteen, DS Nine twelve, Enterprise three, Voyager two. By the way, they are uh, now exactly as close DS Nine to the original series in total points as Voyager is to Enterprise. Wolf. Yeah. Uh, in terms of total points, TNG has been the leader for, for many weeks mm-hmm. and is now a full average point better than TOS. It's just that DS9 has been picking up so much and closing the gap that T- uh, TNG isn't picking up the wins at the same rate. Right. So. And last week, they really gave some points back with Shades of Grey. So. They did with Shades of Grey. And, um, you know, there's a seven point seven and a half point average spread between TNG and Voyager at this point. Yeah. So really not distinguishing itself. Uh, this is probably going to be our last Star Trek episode of the year. That seems pretty likely. Given uh, that two weeks from today is Christmas Day. Yeah. So getting getting one in between Christmas and New Year's. Uh, we'll do a quick hiatus. You're doing a bunch of traveling, etc. Seems unlikely. Yeah, we'll hiatus when we bit. When we do come back to the Star Trek project, we will be discussing... Return to Tomorrow? Which one's that? Uh, I don't know. They go to the future. It has the exact same syntax as Back to the Future. <laughs> yes, it does. So I, I think <laughs> uh, that's not Star Trek's fault. Back to the Future ripped it's it off from true. them. It's one of the many time travel episodes. Oh, I, I think it's it's which. one of the Diana Muldar episodes. Oh, is it one of the Diana Muldars? Okay. Yeah. Pulaski, but not Pulaski. Telepathic aliens take control of uh, Kirk, Spock, and Dr. Anne Mulhall. Okay. So there, there you go there. Lazy naming, if true. Yep. Uh, we'll be watching The Ensigns of Command. Data blows up an aqueduct. He gets real pissy in that one. Yeah. Uh, DS9, we'll be watching Equilibrium. And that, of course, um, it's a damn trill episode. Oh, yeah. Voyager. 
Future's End Part oh, 1. Oh, oh, I've been waiting for this. I've really been waiting. <laughs> I wanted it so bad. Sounds like it's also maybe some time travel nonsense. Oh, uh, maybe it's some Tuvok and a Durag nonsense? Hard to say. Oh, time no. will tell. Oh no. Yeah, could be pretty good. <laughs> and Enterprise First Flight. Mm, I think I remember that one. It's a uh, one of them uh, flashbacky type stories. Yeah, it's Archer's a pilot or something, yeah, right? Talking like, about the some of the warp tests that he was a part of or whatever. I guess we just invoked Zephram Cochran this week, so yeah, sure. Bring it, bring it back. But could we please bring back five or six things from TNG next week as well for Enterprise? That would be great. <laughs> maybe they could run into like just um, thinking. Maybe they visit Angel One. Maybe they'll get kidnapped by those telepathic aliens and have to <laughs> use some nonverbal communication to get out or. Boy, I don't know. Maybe they meet the Darmok race, but it doesn't work out. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's maybe it's Dathan himself. I don't know how long they live. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? Dathan could be old. Yeah. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, we are at Brother Date on Twitter. Next time we get together, it will be a mailbag. We yeah. will read all of those tweets, whether they are complimentary or even intelligible. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, subscribe on iTunes, etc. Visit brotherdate.com. All the normal stuff. Yeah, do it. Yedrin! One contact. <laughs> I love how he fucking trails off. He knows it's dumb. He knows he's dumb. <laughs> oh god, I started this sentence and now I gotta finish it. Oh, he's gonna, he's gonna remember this later. Please subscribe.